1: Since we last spoke to you, this World Cup gets even closer. Andy Robinson's now been fired. We'll bring you an update on the next episode as to which coach has been fired to make it more and more in line with the 2007 World Cup. As we return to the Squid Rugby World Cup retrospective, I am currently recording from a coffee shop in Cardiff because I am stranded here. I Very am professional not as... dropping the brand, by the way. Very professional. Yes, this episode is sponsored by No Brands. <laughs> can I can am joined...
2: I'm sure, so... I wonder if, if I you're coffee through the pod, then, then you give a shout-out.
1: Yeah. yeah. <laughs> They'll say, we'll give you a free coffee if you buy eight first. That is our <laughs> loyalty yeah, scheme. I'm joined Zebra by Will, or the other Squidge, whatever you want to call you. <laughs> I can't believe you've given me a whatever people want to call me.
2: Rugby league squish. Rugby league squish.
1: <laughs> yeah. league speech. We were talking off air a minute ago about the fact that I'm the bigger league fan out of the two of as regular hosts, and that is not saying much. By the way, um, when I say the two regular hosts, who's the other one? The, oh, you. I'm R- Robbie Owen, because that's how you introduce yourself <laughs> by your full name. The tables have turned... Um... And we're joined once again, very excited to welcome back our now, I think we can now call you regulars, Harry and Nelson Dale, how are we doing?
2: Yeah, look, we're going good, mate. Uh, you're stranded in in cold, cold Wales, and we're in nice, warm, almost sunny. It's only just got dark, Australia, so we can't complain. Yeah, I'm working four days a week, enjoying the sun, you know, taking it pretty <laughs> early retirement. It's great down here in Australia, guys. Very, very good.
1: I cannot overstate how cold it is at Cardiff. Like, (laughs) friend of the pod, Paul Williams, tweeted it saying this morning, it's so cold in Cardiff that I just saw a penguin crying. And (laughs) I saw that same penguin. I thought he was joking when I read the tweet. But no.
2: Uh, Very good.
1: Like, I was saying off air that, you know, normally I think of the Millennium Stadium as this kind of like cathedral of like, you know, you kind of take a pilgrimage to. And then I had the moment this morning of just being like, it's really cold. I just want to get where I'm going. It's now just an obstacle in my way. It's just something massive I've got to walk around. That's what I'm dealing with. That's why you may hear background noise as this goes on, and I apologise for that. It's penguin's crying. Yeah.
2: That's something that um, Sydney done, does well. We have our major stadium in the middle of Van nowhere. So you're never going <laughs> to be in your way. That's It's planned out, thought out really, really well, isn't it? Oh, absolutely, yeah. You're never going to go there either, so it's yeah. fantastic. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well, bear
1: that in mind for when I'm not there.
2: Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Surely, boys, sure you're going to be at the uh, Australian Rugby World Cup. Oh, yeah. Time, so
3: When's yeah. the Rugby League World Cup oh. coming around again? Four years?
2: <laughs> oh, I think it's every two, three, five, four, seven years. They just make it up as they go. Yeah.
1: I wonder who's going to be in the final of that one.
2: Uh, Look, Namibia are having a huge driving (laughs) force at the moment. They've really brought it together. Mm. So they've actually taken a lot of their union players and they're really going to give it a shake. I think
1: (laughs) they once they once made it to four on the tackle count. So they're a really up and coming nation.
2: (laughs) That's pretty tough against, you know, a country like, I don't know, Papua New Guinea. Like if if they could do that against Australia, they're, they're in for a chance. Genuinely, the game we're about to talk about japan i don't know that they ever did make it to four on the tackle count <laughs> so, yeah. first 20 first 20 they were defending nah, no, yeah, we just the not ball. ball. <laughs> yeah, that's
1: true can i ask before we start though about the ball that bernard foley couldn't kick which oh
3: I... yeah, the yeah. Ball that I own now, yeah 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 you yeah. own that ball how did
2: that happen Oh, honestly, it's it's just purely rugby not being that big and, you know, out there <laughs> in Australia at the moment. There was um eToro, you know, was the, mm. the sponsor of the Wallabies or parts concert yeah. for, the, for the comp, and they just put something up on Twitter, and I, I swear like 10 people retweeted it and, and commented, you had to write, like, some poem or something like that and send it <laughs> to your And I spent actually far too long when I, you know, came up against a few other probably 10-year-olds and I, I got it <laughs> done now and if yeah. it goes on a number of tweets Nelson has he's famous for having almost every single rugby account on Twitter in Australia so he's just retweeting off every single one of his accounts which made him an absolute <laughs> shame short... <laughs> it was it was a short yeah.
1: do you remember your poem that won you the ball oh, the infamous ball I really ball.
2: wish I did I, I could probably look for it but I really, <laughs> really wish I had it Harry's looking it up now just to see if he can find it it's going to be about one thousand posts back because it was like a month ago.
1: I love uh, the thought of moments in cult rugby history being given out for poetry competitions.
2: <laughs> yeah, yeah. I, I don't, I don't even fully remember how good it was. I, I'm, I'm going to put my money on this. Is going to be embarrassing. When it comes I mean, up.
1: I would write <laughs> a, a few stanzas for an NFT if Gaffed was just trying for the <laughs> Bob I was going to say, like, so an anecdote. I don't think I've told on the podcast is I once accidentally came third in a prestigious poetry competition by talking about Jason Statham. And <laughs> if only I'd known that I could have won the shirt Gareth Edwards was wearing in 1973, <laughs> then maybe would've I would have tried. It.
2: Yeah, you would have put in the extra effort for sure. Like, look, honestly, I, it was, they just said it was a match ball. That's all hmm. they said when they put it up. And then when I won it, I private messaged them. and I'm like, can I just double check? This is the ball at the end of the match, and they go, I oh, will double check for you. He came back and said it's the ball. No, <laughs> so I'm trying to not like I don't want to push it too far, guys. But can I get like a letter of authentication and stuff like that? From <laughs> yeah, yeah. Australia? like, yeah, no problem. And then they sent me that all that out, and it's signed by both captains, and so I'm going to put no. of it in there. We were saying we think that it should yeah. have clearly been Raynar uh, yeah. and, and <laughs> Nick White. Oh, oh, it,
1: yeah. yeah, yeah. Like if ever you meet Bernard Foley, you have to bring that with you everywhere you go in case you bump into him.
2: <laughs> it's that's some good shit but I really want to do that. So. <laughs> 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 it definitely makes it just that much better if I can get so, it. i just put w- a different ball. Where is that mm. ball now sat in your house? It's just sitting. I've got a, a, a signed Waratah's jersey from the year that we never won nice. a game, from two, two, like <laughs> last season, two years ago, sitting on a shelf in actually in my in law's place. So it's, it's not boxed up, it's not done anything special at the moment. So I know a guy that's going to, you know, make him look very professional and mm. get some big printout photos and stuff like that for me. Oh, he man, that's brilliant. That game we lost. It's more famous that that happened though. If he he
3: kicked it, the ball's on that.
1: I did kind of forget the the repercussions of him not kicking it for (laughs) just for a minute there when you were so proud of that ball. That's the the thing; it's going to be remembered as one of the Wallaby losses, and you forever will never be able to forget it. (laughs) Uh,
2: When I got the ball, like I put up on twitter a, a vote saying like what should i do with this ball and one of the options was kick it in the touch and that was <laughs> like, like i'm like should i frame it should i kick it in a touch Everyone's like kick it in touch
3: you have to you
2: have to i really want to film me just kicking the ball into touch and just go like make a bit of a pun out of it and he couldn't get it done so i'll get it done
1: we will promo <laughs> the shit out of that video when when <laughs> that surfaces the thing is All you right, have I'll, waited. I'll make it happen, I'll make it happen. Thing is, you have waited months now. <laughs> you only wait an extra minute. <laughs>
2: I'll go get it now. I'll t- be back.
1: <laughs> that would have been a hell of an exclusive. We did that as an audio. You kicking oh, the ball. Yes.
2: As an audio. That would have told really well over podcast format. <laughs> People would have really loved it. Nelson's <laughs> walking to the ball and, and he... the whistle's been blown. He it. <laughs> it doesn't make touch. So and yeah, Harry, you can
1: play Nick White and Vachetti and all the players telling him that he has to kick it into touch. You can be that guy because
2: I, 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 can, I can see by you
1: two on Twitter that you're not shy of occasionally having a go at each other.
2: <laughs> I stand by that Nick White was supporting his teammate. They were all saying that he's doing such a good job at getting ready to kick the ball. They were that <laughs> impressed. Go, you I don't, I, yeah, there's no way they were blowing up. Yeah. I don't, I don't agree with that. Yeah. I refute that. <laughs> they, i'm pretty sure they were going you've got more time take your time take your time any success it. on the
1: poem by the way
2: look i've, I've dead set scrolled through I'll the most it. outrageous amount of content from nelson but um nothing absolutely nothing uh, i'll find it it's... okay in the
1: meantime i will mention the game today for it's Australia 91 japan free a scoreline that flatters Japan. Yeah. This is the biggest scoreline we've had on this podcast, is it not? Is it? I th- I don't think we've had somebody hit 90 points yet. I think mm. that the previous biggest was, I think, South Africa beat Namibia 87-0. In, right. And I think New Zealand might have got 88 or something against Japan mm-hmm. in 2011. But certainly in 1987, people couldn't catch the ball enough times to score 90 points.
2: Yeah, that's very true. But th- this one was interesting as well it's- I saw just before I came over that this was the most caps from a starting 15 ever for, wow, for the Warriors. Wow. And it, I don't think it was that many. Like, it's obviously, they didn't play as many games back then, but when they were South Africa, it was like 700-odd or something like right, that. Right, right. Like, this is the most that's ever taken a field in international rugby. Was it just wow. was six, 6 nil after 15 minutes and all the commentators <clears throat> going, going, wow, Japan, you know, they're just sticking in it. They really aren't letting this game get away what is it, twenty what was the half time score? It was still tight, twenty three to three, thinking mm. they're having a proper crack here. They're expected to score eighty to hundred points. And then as I said, they play the Namibian rugby league tactic in defence. <laughs>
3: Outrageous.
1: I want to add as well, speaking of funny kind of kit dramas, Harry, you're currently on this podcast wearing your Wallabies two thousand and seven jersey. So what kind of relationship do you have with this wallaby team?
2: You know, you know what? I I bought this jersey very enthusiastic, pre, uh, enthusiastically pre World Cup. Nelson and I probably <laughs> fell in love with rugby, particularly in the two thousand three home World Cup. Maybe the few years before mm-hmm. that as well. And I bought this jersey, and I was so happy with it because it was the first jersey that had these like little grip pads yeah. on the chest. And I just thought that <laughs> it was like the most outstanding thing as a I don't know. It's probably pretty old, nineteen year old. No, I was I was near ten. So you would have been, what, 2007, 19, yeah, 19-year-old. 19 and now I realise I just hate the jersey. It's so <laughs> thick and hot. It doesn't move. It's it's a lot tighter than I remember, which is definitely Especially a jersey's in the fault. Especially in the gun. Yeah, so no, it's not my favourite jersey, but I hold on to every single one. And I, was, I remember being particularly excited about the design at the time.
1: It's one of those jerseys you still see at every Wallabies game.
0: You yes. still see
1: people wearing it all the time, that shirt. With the it's, piping it's a, and the, the grip pads and everything.
2: I think you you probably find that like 2003, so many people started getting into rugby, the World Cup in Australia. So random people have gone, oh, the next World Cup, we're going to win this one and just got on board. And it's probably the sign that no one's bought a jersey since 2007. I think yeah. it's probably like, the, hope's, the
1: hope's gone. That's what it is. Maybe, hey, maybe we'll see that again next time. Maybe we'll see an influx of, what, 2031 jerseys for the next 20 years beyond <laughs> yeah, yeah. that. That's it a good is.
2: one to be a sponsor on. They should sell that. like. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> That's smart. It's going to be worth far more.
1: It's referred to at one point as Lottie Tinkeri is wearing a controversial jumper.
2: I think it's the, yeah, it's definitely the grip stuff. I yeah. think it already I remember mm. it being quite, yeah, controversial. It was cheating. Yeah. It was basically cheating. Didn't. But mind you, I think after they watched this game, they realised that it didn't have quite the performance-enhancing effects that they thought, (laughs) with the backs dropping almost every single wide pass in the first half. But um, I think maybe that was a tax just so that they had it for the finals when they really needed it for that one game.
1: Mm. (laughs) I do think these two teams should have swapped jerseys at halftime so we could have seen the effects of it. But, you know, (laughs)
3: it's it's fine. Yeah. Could have They're measured it accurately.
2: Were, yeah, it was an interesting one, really. Like, I, I think they were talking about Australia were expecting John Connolly were going zero points to be scored against us. And I don't know what point it was. We were like maybe 20 up or something like that, 17 mm. up or something when Japan kicked their penalty. And I, I wonder if John Connolly at the time was going, that's disgusting. Like, I'm not <laughs> happy about that. And how angry he really was 23 yeah. 3, yeah, just before half time. <laughs> yeah. It's At like, that point,
1: my my first on. thought was because this is the scheduled draft rugby episode that we have on every every season of our podcast, right? I was yeah. thinking like, go on lads, I can't wait for your drop kick in the second half. And because <laughs> that drop kick didn't happen, I feel like later on in the pod when we get to that point, we have to really, really build up this penalty and really, <laughs> really go into depth about it uh, as much as we do any Wallabies try, it, if not more. That's
2: that's a very valid point. That's very disappointing. That I mean, you guys picked the wrong game for us. There's no drop goal against us, yeah. So, <laughs> Dunning was on the field, so it was always a chance, <laughs> infamous, obviously, for his drop goal in Super Rugby. Speaking about Dunning, he made a couple breaks, he was, yeah, looking, it was great. I Dunning
1: thought, was, yeah, two or three
2: line breaks pretty quick.
1: Also, just Did generally, you... I want to say, I enjoyed this game a lot. Yeah, I did. Um, to say it was so insanely one-sided, and genuinely there was a point about kind of 50 minutes where I forgot Japan were playing, and I forgot that it <laughs> yeah. wasn't just like the Wallabies doing essentially a training session, but I enjoyed it a lot.
2: Yeah, it was It was good fun. It was interesting to hear the commentators go, oh, it's just not been the day for the Japanese centre pairing at one point. And it's like, they were pretty brutal too. Jeez, <laughs> like, they've had the ball in total for five minutes and it's maybe <laughs> got to the centres once. And he's t- tearing those two players apart. Should we have a quick look at the teams while, while we're yeah. there? So, should we
1: start should with we... Japan? While... Let's with because... Japan. Okay. Because so, so, we're there. Japan, in a really weird place leading into this World Cup. So they had, a few years after well, after the 2003 World Cup, appointed Jean-Pierre Elissade, former France international, to be their head coach through to the 2007 World Cup. However... About the year before this World Cup, in 2006, right, el signed on to become the coach of Bayon in the top 14 and didn't <laughs> tell Japan. And so yes, he was planning right. on just doing both jobs at the same time and just hoping Japan wouldn't find out. He was also coaching a, another professional team full-time. So they found out about two months into the French season and fired him.
2: <laughs> oh, fire and
3: So... They got-
1: his deal dream. was that I will, for the duration of the World Cup, I will offer to go full time with Japan. <laughs>
0: <and> I... <laughs> wow. Which he already
1: is. Yeah. <laughs> I will honour the job I that I have signed a contract
2: months. off for two months. <laughs> Jeez, that's, that's some good stuff from him. That's yeah. some really, really good stuff.
1: It's the first case of a Frenchman working too much that anyone's <laughs> ever <endeavor's> seen. <laughs> Guessing so... by the fact we don't see Elisard, I think we can probably guess what happened to him.
2: Yeah. Well, I mean, they brought in John Kerwin, who is a very well known in rag- uh, guy in rugby. Mm. But geez, like, have you seen him recently? When, when yeah. he, whenever he's mm. talking on on the telly, it's always controversial. Mm. Always, it, he looks like he's taken too many hits to the head. And I actually saw him in this one. I'm going, he's coherent. Like this is a sign <laughs> that. They did not look after players' heads back then. Could you listen to him now? You go, geez, this guy's not all there. And <laughs> I do wonder how the sections, got, maybe any concussions after finishing footy though. You would think as a coach, you shouldn't be getting more concussions and deteriorating. <laughs> that, that
1: was how Eddie Jones got the job off him. Though yeah. the one bit of punditry, one bit of punditry that John Cohen has done recently that really stands up and makes sense when you watch this game back is he said a few weeks ago, "I was never a very good coach."
2: <laughs> yeah, yeah, I heard that. <laughs> I remember hearing that. Like he, he did, pretty much the opposite of what Jones did when he came in, because he's like we're reversing a good team. We're not going to play our players. Like mm. we're just we're going to put out a, a weakened team against Australia, and then we're going to have a real crack at Fiji. Yeah, who they mm. did come close to. To be fair, they had they had only a four day turnaround as well, right? So they That's had a crazy, pretty pretty tough game to mm. back up from.
1: John Cohen in the pre-match is referred to as John Cohen who scored that famous try against Italy. Not John Cohen who scored that famous try with a dog uh, on the field against Italy. (laughs) Which is ridiculous. Why does no one bring it up? Why does no one mention it? I can't
2: believe it took this long to come up in the podcast, to be honest. I thought you guys had to drop that into the opener for every episode.
1: (laughs) We should. (laughs) They ask John Cohen before the match, what are you happy for out this fixture? And he, without skipping a beat, just goes, respect.
2: Yeah,
1: no to the field. <laughs> No respect for that. No respect. I don't
2: I don't know that they really got that either. I think it was a pretty solid <laughs> no. fail in that regard.
1: Yeah, yeah. So looking at the Japanese team itself, I think th- there's a handful of quite recognisable names going on. I mean, for starters, right, Kosai Ono started both in this game and their win over the Springboks in 2015, which yeah, is that's the pretty thing. So remarkable. Before the game, they asked John wow. Kerwin, you're down to your third choice, fly half. And he goes, it's not a third choice, it's just a young guy who's coming mm. through. And yeah. when I heard that, I was like, okay, come on. Right on and then you yeah. realise like, oh no, it is the guy that goes on to start their win over the yeah. spring box in yeah. however alongside. It's, it's pretty remarkable actually seeing a younger version of him. So he didn't go to 2011, did he? So he skipped that World Cup, but went to 2007 and 2015. Mm. Oh no. They do make a, a pun on his name and say, oh, he might be saying, yeah. oh no, a lot during the game if the Wallabies <laughs> score some tries. It's coming yeah, up against no, Larkham,
2: no. he'll be saying, oh no. Yeah, that's it, yeah. that's it. But so it's interesting
1: he, as well that pre match they refer to him as being quite a like kicking ten, which yeah. in, in kind of since then isn't is. the reputation he has, which no. clearly shows kind of the reputation of Eddie Jones and kind of what he transformed him into come the twenty fifteen tournament. because well, you look at that Japan team now, right? And Ono and Tatakawa were basically Ford and Farrell. And I don't know if yes. he just has to find two players that become that with any team he plays mm. in. And that was like, he was clearly building Matt Gitto to be one day when he was with the Wallabies. Yeah, uh, And yeah. he wants Stephen Larkin. He just wants endless Stephen Larkins. And he <laughs> yeah, will make yeah. them I if he has mean, to. The other thing about <laughs> the <laughs> Munster, the other thing that's interesting about the Japan team is they played a warm-up game about two weeks before this against Portugal, in which Dasika Oata got himself injured and ruled out of the tournament, oh! who was, of course, the world-leading try scorer Oh, I'm gutted we didn't get a chance to see him. I'd I, I assumed he would retired by this point. No, he was still uh, going. This was supposed to be a swan song. So and yeah, that, he got injured would, just before the tournament. Be in Portugal.
2: huge. They, they had a pretty big build-up as well. Like, they did the Pacific Nations Cup and came up against Australia A and lost 71-10. So, mm. I mean, this, this could have gone a lot worse.
1: Yeah. It's yeah. a clear sign of how the difference between Australia and Australia A, in that they <laughs> score exactly 20 more points and don't continue to try.
2: But yep. this was essentially Australia versus Japan, a eh? So, I don't know. I, I feel like it's probably par, isn't it? They're about as
1: <laughs> I feel like Australia would probably give Australia a run for the money, wouldn't they?
2: Well, I mean, again, this year, our Australia race side looked pretty bloody good. They beat Japan mm. a few times in a row, didn't they? Yeah. By the 2 out of 3 2 or 3 yeah, yeah, it's rock solid. They're better, yeah. That's a better win rate than our Wallabies.
3: Mm. So, yeah. mm.
1: On the wing, they have brought in a young Heritoki uh, Onizawa as well, mm. who is... <laughs> Now, now speaking retrospectively their second top try scorer 2-0 bless him he, you can tell he's talented right but he doesn't get a lot of opportunity in this game he no. is he is rapid but like he's not as quick as Lottie Tinkuri so that's kind of the one thing that matters it's a tough gig that isn't it it is it's Being, a tough gig we'll get onto it in a moment but it's a hell of a wall of his backline to find yourself mm. up against to say like there's some players that go on to have good careers for Japan, like Koji Taira, I think, you know, played very well for them mm. later on. Really good in 2011. Um, Katsu Kasumi, good player, good player. There's plenty of players who are entirely talented, but yeah. it is a bit. Sasaki, big, the captain, I, I like the look of him. Who had been, and... so he'd been the captain under Elisade. He then got dropped by Ota, who was the kind of caretaker coach before Kerwin came in. Then Kirwan immediately reinstated him as captain.
2: I <laughs> love it. The
1: last Japanese player I want to kind of single out is the one that they went mad for on the commentary, and that is Lautangi Samurai Vatuve, which yeah, his middle name funny. is genuinely Samurai. So we is
3: actually,
1: yes, yes, that's genuine. So we once talked about his brother on the 2011 series. Oh, so okay. his brother Manu Vatuve mm. played one game in 2011 against Tonga, and we both gave him Man of the Match, I believe. Um,
2: Vatabai, yeah, he um he was a big rugby league player and very very well known player. Right.
3: Yeah. Mm.
2: Yeah. So he he played for um New Zealand and rugby. I should league have known. He was known for like cutting people in half and being a real real mm. physical player.
1: Right. Yeah. Because this the early by...
2: commitment to Vatavai having that kind of nickname as well, like Vatavai, such a good Japanese surname it just fits so well with samurai it's like they knew that his destiny was to play for japan it's just (laughs) surely it can't be his birth middle name
1: it's written down on the team sheet as samurai vatuvai
2: like that being his surname when he wanted to be selected though surely that's true there's probably
1: some some granny gate stuff going on Of just they're like (laughs) my middle name is samurai of course i'm japanese interesting thing Their other brother, Sioni Vatavai, played for Japan in the 2003 World Cup. Oh, wow. So they just have a different one at each World Cup. A (laughs) rota. You just had to take turns.
2: I think Manu actually might be a cousin and Sioni a brother. Oh, okay. uh, Yeah. And Sioni, I'm pretty sure that it was last year or this year they had the Samurai 15, Tongan Samurai 15 or something like that. Oh, yeah, yeah. And I'm pretty sure he was their captain. Don't Right. Yeah, so he's still around, or was still around at some point within the last 12 months, Mm. playing footy in Japan.
1: Interesting, interesting. I've just noticed, by the way, looking back, Japan just do not use their bench in this game. They only bring one substitute on. (laughs) Yeah, John Cohen, not a very good coach. Yeah, because I (laughs) I saw in the anthem, like... That They had Hitoshi Ono in there mm. on the, and realised, oh, yeah, he's on the bench. Was, and they had Bryce Robbins, yes. who, again, we that talked was. about once in 2011 and was class. And like Kazuki Endo, who was great in 2011. So they have a lot of players on the bench that they just don't bring on, clearly saving them back for later in the tournament. So that's something quite exciting to look forward to.
2: I think as well that Kerwin could tell that it was just about to tip, you know, the Japanese had him right when they wanted him. 60th, 70th minute when the mm. Wallabies were starting to tie, they could see... They were going to bring the new subs on. The Wallabies cohesion was going to go out the window, and the Thai Japanese were going to hit their second win. So, you know, I, I can see the tactic. I get it. I get it. Didn't quite pan out, but I, I would have done the same if I was him.
1: Yeah, yeah. Just forget <laughs> like to bring everyone go. on. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Of course. So, we've talked a lot about like great scrum half battles oh. uh, on World Cups and no, stuff. Can, okay. Like okay. we've talked about like Dimitri Ashvili, we've talked about Fori Dupriya a lot of the brilliant Scramarves in the world. But this is a really exciting moment because there's two Scramarves here that we get to commentate on for the first time uh, in World Cups. <laughs> yeah. And it is probably my favourite battle of the Scramarves that I've ever seen in George Gregan versus Yuki Yatomi.
2: Mate, how many times did they say Yuki Yatomi, a George Gregan-like halfback? And then I <laughs> go, but he has too much hair or something <laughs> like that as well. And he did end up being a bald guy. So, I mean, maybe <laughs> maybe they could tell the future.
3: But I think
1: that's it. I think they just saw a bald scrum-off and were just yeah, like, just brilliant, <laughs> here he is, Gregan." like y- Yuki Itomi is a scrum-off I have very fond memories of because I first saw him playing his latter like days of his career for the Sunwolves in Super Rugby. Yes. And he very much branched into my one of my favorite kinds of rugby player is fat scrum-offs. I say that <laughs> because I intend to be one very soon. But so we're talking like Ricky January, right? What a player.
3: Okay. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Piru
1: Whippu, what a player. Yes. The late great Tanyela Moa, brilliant yes. player. Yes. Yuki Atomi is very much fitting into that. Kind of that breed of rugby player. Emma's and just on the word ju- fit. Yes, exactly. I just, I just love him. He, he looks like a nugget.
2: <laughs> he, he, apparently, if you if you flick over to his um his Wikipedia, apparently he played wing as well. I, I <laughs> no, not, a <laughs> not a chance.
3: Not a chance. Yeah, they I, definitely I didn't
1: it. see. Oh, oh Art is out. Yuki, see if you can jump on the flank <laughs> for us. <laughs>
2: Yes, I'm probably in the same way Jake Gordon plays a wing, you know, like yeah. there's no one left on the pitch. All right, come on, Yuki, get out of there.
1: Yeah, yeah. Like Nick Phipps has like 15 caps on the wing. He just happened to play at the same time as Genia. That's all that <laughs> means. Yeah, though, this
2: is this is typical of Australian behaviour as well. Like in this game, no backup halfback, accordingly, not on the mm. team sheet. So mm. they had Matt Gido as the backup nine if anything went down. So... If uh, the halfbacks are just, you know, they're, they're able to be put anywhere, I, I, I wouldn't have been surprised if we finished with gets there and uh, and Georgie Gregan playing out in the wing or you know <laughs> wherever they were going to try and make the team sheet fit because that's just what the halfbacks do. They, well, they just had to fix it. They had a, a couple bench halfbacks. Not they had Drew Mitchell. They had Mark Dryden there. They had Stephen Hoyles, who they did put there at one point at Side wing. George
1: Smith could have played there. Let's be honest.
2: You definitely could have put George Smith anywhere
1: on the field. Well, I mean, two notes. One, I was just going to mention the Ryo Yamamura, the Japanese tight head, was a former sumo wrestler um, oh. who ended his sumo career to focus on rugby because he enjoyed rugby more. And yeah. good on him. And you mentioned on. Stephen Hoyles, head coach of the LA Giltinis, the oh, MLR is, winning coach now. That's I forgot true. about that. Yeah, good player Stephen Hoyles. Mm. I didn't really get a chance to see him play internationally when I was first like getting into rugby. Uh so I kind of thought him as a super rugby player, so I'm looking forward to seeing kind of what he's like at this level.
3: Mm. He's
2: He's a he was a gun actually. We really rated mm. him when he was playing in Australia and then he's had a pretty good coaching career too. Been mm. pretty heavily involved with the, with the yeah, Australian yeah. Sevens, Ran yet, and over in, uh, I think he was assistant coach before head coach now over at the Guillotinis as well. So I actually genuinely think he's got a pretty big future. I think we'll probably see him back in Australia that's in the next brilliant. few
1: years. That's mm. class. That's class. Speaking of the so the Australian backline,
2: because
1: mm. that's oh, hey. that is the that's the highlight of this game. The sound it? I made when I saw that backline just on the team sheet. There's no weakness it- to it. And right. it's this really fun thing of this is kind of a transition period for Australia mm. in that you've still got a lot of the star players from 2003, but you've got a lot of the players that would go on to be key in that really great 2011 backline. Yeah. And you've kind of got them meeting here. It's such a satisfying group.
3: A couple I who made it. the
1: final in 2015 in Ghetto yeah, yeah. and Ashley Cooper, like. And Mitchell on the bench. And Mitchell on the bench, yeah. But you've got Lottie Tenkuri and Ashley Cooper on the wings, which is fantastic. That midfield of Larkham, Gitto and Mortlock Hello. is, yeah, it's oh, just, so it's delightful. Good. And the thing is, like, we say all of that. We've not spoken about the guy who, all of the pre-match chat was around Chris Latham. Uh, on his 32nd yes. birthday, this was. Birthday <laughs> yes. boy. Um,
3: yes.
1: Yeah. He didn't get much ball, but when he did, he was just yeah. unbelievable.
2: It was so typical of Latham, the way he runs. Well, apparently he did his ACL, MCL, had a big knee recon at the start of the year. Oh, wow. Hadn't played any test footy before this competition. Came straight in and played like that. Like every time he ran the ball, he's just got that like that really iconic like leg drive through contact. There was that one moment early in the first half where he's kicked a ball from inside his own 22, and it's gone out just outside the 22 of the Japanese team, and it just gave me flashbacks to playing rugby 08 as a kid and you used to just pump the ball into open space. The defense could never work it out. And you'd make about 80 meters. And Latham just had this like endless boot in the game. He's, he's just such a <laughs> hero. What about his his double kick? He did. He got the ball yeah. off. The ball comes down the 70th, 71st minute down from a Japanese kick. He gets the ball, chips it over the top as it lands, basically mm. rubbers it again, burns everybody, and ends up scoring. 80 <laughs> meters down yeah. With a couple kicks along the way. It's fantastic, it's, isn't it? That was a pretty good
1: try. Yeah, yeah. And that was one of the pick of the bunch to kind of jump ahead to that.
3: Yeah, this is also cry,
1: immediately <laughs> pre Worcester Chris Latham. Of course. This is him, like, straight after his World Cup, he heads to Worcester, who oh, at wow. the time were like not going great in the Premiership, but they went, we know how we can fix this. Let's <laughs> spend what at the time it made him the second highest paid player in Premiership rugby history. Wow. Second to Carl Heyman at Newcastle. Yeah. And he came in and you know what? He did okay. <laughs> and must continue to finish
3: <laughs> yeah. Must continue him, to finish in the bottom half of the table.
2: We still haven't we still haven't replaced him. We haven't got a fullback. <laughs> I would not I wouldn't mind him putting the boots on.
1: Yeah. Yeah second yeah, highest top it. try score of Wallaby history to David Campese. He's just big on seconds, yeah. he's big on being second in everything. <laughs>
2: I, I would say he's going to come up in my awards at the end of the uh, end of the pod though. So okay, I'll, I'll hold the little teaser. But he's
3: yeah. definitely come back noted,
1: up. noted. So as we get to the pre-match, I have two things that I want to point out. Okay. The first of which is this fantastic piece of punditry in the pregame, which I loved. Okay.
2: And you can see this Phil Wall pointed out, all the guys with different ways of preparing, you see Derek Barnes with the headphones on, Georgie Gregan had the headphones on, Bonnie Takiri with the earpieces. Georgie Gregan, I would gamble on him listening to a bit of jazz leading up to this event. And I'm not just saying that because I like jazz, but I happen to know that George does too. So I'd expect uh, maybe a bit of Miles Davis would be in those headphones. John Connolly. Wow. Wow. The variety is just insane. Wasn't it? Then (laughs) then the next minute things got better because it was looking at John Connolly speak and we couldn't hear him. I don't know. Was that just me? Yes. (laughs) Yes, Yeah, yeah. That happened. And it is still better than what we just heard. (laughs) More insightful.
1: There's no Miles Davis. We should have just been listening in there. You like jazz? Yeah,
2: that's surely how you guys start the pod this week. Yeah.
1: (laughs) We should, instead of doing this about the rugby, just speculate on players' musical tastes. I like how he specifies this. I'm not saying that because I like jazz. It's like, yeah. well, it would have been interesting if George Gregan listened to jazz because the commentator, Rupert McCall, (laughs) likes it.
2: Well, he's just taking a stab in the dark. He likes jazz and... George Gregan's listening to some hip-hop and he's just gone, <laughs> uh, Yeah, he's definitely listening to jazz. Trust me, I like it. It's good stuff. Gregan's too angry for hip-hop. He needs the jazz to mellow him out. Yeah, it's yeah. common knowledge.
1: It is, it is nice, like, knowing that George Gregan's a jazz fan, though. It's, yeah, as you say, like, it's good that he has that calming influence in his life. That's good thing to know so the second thing i have before kickoff right so we've talked about something that's really calming in in george gregan and his jazz addiction he just loves jazz all he does is listen to jazz right but (laughs) the other thing i noticed when the the national anthems started to happen Stephen moore has hair yeah what's that about
2: so weird it was really odd seeing it i I saw him throw a line out i'm like who's that
3: (laughs) (laughs)
1: Yeah, I didn't recognise him until the second half of the game when someone said, you know, the commentator yeah. said Moore. I was like, oh, is in Stephen Moore. <laughs> it can't is be Steve the same guy.
2: Like... No, he looks like a baby. It's like when I see photos of Nelson with hair. Like, he's not the same <laughs> human.
1: It's, it's fake news, that. It's fake news. It's
2: bald is Nelson 2.0, oh, and I'm not sure more than the same. Better without hair. It's overrated.
1: Anything else from the free game?
2: I thought it was interesting, the ref, I'm just double-checking his name, mm. Alan, Alan, Lewis. Alan. Alan
1: Lewis, Alan Lewis, yes.
2: Yeah. yeah, yeah. He was an Irish cricketer with an average of over 50. That's that's not bad.
3: Yeah. That's,
2: that's pretty interesting. He couldn't catch a ball because Gregan almost, you know, he got in the way of a, a pass to Gregan at one point. But M- Manny Dunning throwing it into him, yeah. yeah, yeah. But that's pretty interesting. An international yeah. cricketer being ref.
1: They do, of course, on the Touch Judges, have both Dave Pearson and Steve Walsh. Yes. Which is, it's the dream team of officiating. Why couldn't they have co-refereed the game instead of Alan Lewis? I know. Just had the (laughs) two of them bicker over every decision. I'll tell you what, at the time, I remember thinking Alan Lewis was an alright referee, but I don't miss him. No, no. He is incredibly pedantic on everything. At one point, he literally shushes Matt Dunning.
2: I think he he refereed the scrum like you would expect a professional cricket, a referee, a scrum.
3: (laughs) (laughs) He just just... generally what was
2: going on. And the second half, he's like, all right, guys, you just need to calm down and just do better. Like I'm not getting anywhere here myself. So please just fix the problem. Yeah. There's
1: one point where Japan have an overlap and they're trying to get it out and they kind of like, In trying to throw the quick hands, they kind of knock it on forward. They kind of bat it forward. And Alan Lewis waits until the winger picks it up and has a little run before he calls it back for the scrum. (laughs) It's, like, sadistic. Maybe he was waiting to see if it got to a boundary. I don't know. But, like, it it felt sadistic (laughs) to just give them hope and then take it away.
2: He he was probably hoping they didn't have to scrum it down again because that that was a lottery. And At one point, I'm pretty sure he goes, I don't want to card anyone. And I'm pretty sure it's because he didn't know who to card. <laughs> yeah.
3: He just, just
1: raised his front finger horizontal. slowly.
2: Yeah. Okay, all of you go. You know who it is. You go, down. <laughs> Yeah.
1: There's one thing that it's never happened on this pod before, but it's definitely going to become a regular feature for a few World Cups, right? We yeah. get our first ever instance on this podcast of George Gregan chirping. <laughs> and it is relentless even when he's like 40 points up and gregon as we've touched on plays the full game mm. but like there's a point right in the in the first half where gregon is tackled like off the ball essentially and then it mellows out for a minute nothing really happens and then suddenly, you see five Japanese players just swarm on him, ready to punch him. And you just <laughs> know—you can't hear it on the ref mic, but you know he has just said something really, like probably offensive to one of the Japanese players. And it's just like, "Yep, that's our first ever Gregan chirp on this podcast." You've got—we'd you know love he to see it. Does?
2: He runs over, and if it's the same moment and grabs one of them by the head and literally almost rips the player's head off. Oh, yeah. The bloke bloke sack him. That was the response. That's why he got upset because he runs over when there's a stoppage of play, grabs the guy around the throat, and then as the guy drops to the floor, he whacks him in the nuts. And that's why the big mob starts. (laughs) We've always going to defend the Aussie. It wasn't his fault. Yeah, though, right? yeah, yeah. <laughs> but what did you They both <laughs> grabbed each other's head, and I think Gregan did the lesser of two evils. Yeah, <laughs> Gregan is chaotic,
1: if nothing else, though. Like, Literally, in the last minute, when Australia are 80 points up, at one point, Austra- no, Gregan is held late again by a Japanese player. And he kind of does that kind of like pseudo stamp thing to get him off him. And you can hear on the ref mic, just somebody shouting, you cunt. Um, <laughs> and oh. as, as Gregan goes over to take a quick tap, Lewis says, no, you can't take that because of what you just said. Like, do not do that again. <laughs> but he says that when there's one minute left on the clock. And the worst thing about that is, that's in- entirely valid. 60 seconds is a lot of time for George Gregan to call somebody else a cunt.
2: <laughs> I, I did not realize that's what he said. I saw the big blow up and the ref like stopping in his tracks.
1: Yeah. I did
2: not hear that on the ref mic. Like, I love that because it was Australian, start.
1: they didn't apologize for any language being picked up. <laughs> just well, like, you're used to it.
2: It's It means something different in a show. It's endearing <laughs> here, right? If we yeah, call each other
3: yeah.
2: cunts, it's because we like It's
1: each other. very kind of Gregan to say that, actually. It's yeah. broken values, right there. Was, and Alan Lewis nice just misinterpreted thing. it.
2: Yeah. If he called him buddy or something like that, or, you know, it would be really mean. You called him a cunt because you liked him. Yeah. yeah. <laughs>
1: <laughs> so Gregan gets his positive. Respect. It's in his good books, you know. Um, yeah, definitely. Yeah. You yeah. got very... so harsh on so... him. Yeah. So. <laughs> I thought this was going to be, like, the drag ends of Griegan's career. And, like, he'd intended to retire in 2003. And he went, you know what? He was so pissed off by the Wilkinson drop goal. He went, I'm just going to keep going. Just going to keep going. And I thought this was going to be him, like, with waning powers. And no... He's no. really good. I expected I him to be, be... look a little bit like a Piruwhippu type scrum off, you know? Yeah. <laughs> I sh- shouldn't be surprised George Gregan was really good. He was but... so good. <laughs> he was incredible. No. Like he... the first thing that happens in the game is Kosayono shanks a kick off <laughs> and then George Gregan sends back a box kick, which is yeah. like on the money. Yeah. yeah. And like he just about like he gets it so it's just shallower than where the Japanese backfield are and it bounces into touch. And this is this is a minor event in a game with like 10 odd tries. But yeah. still, like it's brilliant that like he had that game management thing from the off.
2: Mm. He's, his kicking game in this in this match was absolutely superb. Yeah. Yeah. There was one moment where he picks up and runs open and then puts the the box kick back towards the blind side for Dunning oh, and Latham. Yes. Yeah. For Dunning, I assume Dunning calls for minute. it. Yeah. And uh yeah. and it it almost results in a try if not for mm. Latham knocking the ball yeah. on. But um Matty Dunning calling for the the chip and chase. I assume is what happened on the blindside play. Yeah, It's just an exceptional kick from Gregan as well. Everything mm. he did off the boot was fantastic. It's
1: insane that he showed that he's like capable of playing kind of both brands of rugby that Australia did in this game. Because like when yeah. Japan was still pushing them and was still full of a bit of energy, you know, he was doing the kicking game thing and still like and putting them under pressure. And then when Australia could just let rip, he was just finding holes left, right, and centre. He was was
2: very heavily criticised late in his career for taking a couple of steps to pass the ball and Mm. how much he slowed the ruck down and the the play the ball down because of that. And I didn't get a sense of that at all in this game, particularly off set piece when Japan had pretty high line speed. He he did take steps, but the thing was, it was always to kind of pull someone across or like Mm. find that gap and kind of weight the pass correctly and things. It wasn't like a, a halfback that needed to take the steps to mm. get the length on their pass or to buy themselves time. It was actually to try and, you know, sit up the defensive line. And, and it was definitely a tactic I think he used really well.
1: The thing that really stood out to me was just how fast he is. Because yeah. he isn't lining up his pass. He's picking it up the it's so available shy. and spinning it away. Like, he is yeah. adding so much more pace than we ever see, like, nowadays. Like, it was... I had moments of thinking... Oh, the wallabies doing things now that if you just dropped them into a modern system, they'd work. And A, the West yeah. Japanese defense, so it's unfair. But yeah. B, I think actually the difference is just how George Bregan was playing. Yeah. The pace it's- he was adding, so how much he was adding, kind of in like value added on each pass, he wasn't just whipping it away. On um, the he was with- tying plays in, he was like turning eyes. Yeah. On what we've done on this podcast, I have scarcely seen a player who reads the game as well as George Gregan does. Yeah. That, like, every time the Wallabies made a break, he was always, like, the man linking up and anticipating that. And he must have got, like, genuinely, like, four or five assists in this game just from that. One of my favourite moments in this game is the Beric Barnes try, Mm. which I'm just going to skip ahead. You know, Beric Barnes's first touch of international rugby and George Gregan puts him in for a try. And so there's a and I think that'd be his last try that wasn't against Wales um (laughs) so he then Gregan he it it has that look of you know when you play a video game so much that you're no longer playing the game consciously you're just reacting to the Mm. animations because you know it inside out and you're just like oh this this character's moving their arms that means I've got to press the x button you know that kind of stuff like Gregan looks like that playing international rugby like, he's kind of, like, half-hearted, not really focused, but he's doing it flawlessly. Like, he's just been doing this so long, and he knows it's so inside right. out. He goes like, oh, yeah, there's a problem for that means go on the outside of him. Yeah, so he just drifts on the outside, Not doesn't even look once to see if there's people around, doesn't look for his support, just lifts it perfectly so that if there is anyone there, they are along to it. <sighs> that Sona little dummy Barnes on does. the inside and then lift on the outside to Barnes is just, just uh, exquisite.
2: Uh, a good line by Barnes, that little Ooh. switch around as well. But if they just – it's like they knew exactly where each other was and that mm. pass was just perfect, perfect positioning. It, it was, it was like, on like 130-something caps at that time, which was just absolutely unheard of. So he probably had seen <clears> the <throat> frames that you're talking about that many friggin' times. You could just press X and score a trial. Like,
3: yeah.
2: Outrageous. Yeah. Just crazy yeah.
1: stuff. Absolutely amazing.
2: Just the, the man standing outside him, Stephen Larkham, Mm. His, his class as well throughout this one. Mm. I, I had some notes on the wall of his tactics, and one of my lines was, Stephen Larkham is a, a wizard. wizard. And that's all it said. <laughs>
1: yeah. <laughs> it just that about funny, it.
2: it. It does become
1: very clear that he's like a cheat code in the first half, isn't he? When they're breaking yeah. down the opposition D, like there's that Elsom try where he throws yeah. the inside ball. And it's like he's calculated that clearly about four phases in advance. Like, this this defense is shit as long as I make them, like, all work this way, and then, oh, no, yeah. you should have gone that way, especially with a man as big as and powerful as Elson. Like
2: mm. He literally – the, the it was around this time, actually, or a couple – actually, it might have been a couple of years before, when mm. I started playing rugby with Ben Volavola, and he turned oh. up to training – and he literally, we're playing touch footy and he's the guy that would get the ball and then he'd tell you where to go and just put put you in space. And you just like, you were like, and we're talking about Xbox games. You're that runner that just runs a line. You don't get to choose it. they just pull you <laughs> through the <laughs> line. And that's what it was like playing with Benny Volovo at that age. But he's doing it at this level, like international footy and just looking like he's passing a footy around and creating gaps left, right and center. He's He's a freak, freak talent. He had so much time. He he had this ability to just make it look like the defense was standing still and he could just kind of orchestrate them and move them away rather than actually dictate what happened with
3: the ball.
1: Yeah, for sure. What was the the, the, other? There was another try where he froze a miss pass. Was that Elsom again? Yeah, yeah, Yeah. where he throws (laughs) his pass. They're all Rocky Elson. Yeah, yeah. Um, Yeah. And again, like you can tell he's mapping it out the whole time. Like the build-up play in the 22 is fantastic and he's always just picking runners off him until eventually he finds that mismatch on the short side. And Gregan, again, his little switch in there. I mean, there's, there's two mm. factors there. One is he looks up, he sees it's Matt Dunning calling for the ball from 10 on the other side, and he goes, Nope. <laughs> He's probably going to We drop want a goal seven again. points, not three. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> um, but the other thing is, him picking and sniping one way, then reverse passing it the other way, straight to Larkham, does tie everyone in. No one is expecting that. Yeah. And so yeah. when Larkham then throws a perfect miss pass as well, and you've got two players, <laughs> like back to back, throwing these incredible, yeah. really widthy passes it's exceptional it's It's almost undefendable the wallabies love a switch passes
3: we yeah we
2: love the switch and loved an offload like Mm, they they kept
1: saying
3: this is
2: this is the world cup of the offload and geez we threw a lot of offloads in that match i thought another brilliant larkin moment even though it didn't come off like he was a man that would back himself no matter what and and he did that one crossfield kick i think he did some bad kicks but he uh, or kicks that didn't come to be about the other kick. But he did a cross-field kick, the one that Lottie should have caught, and they started going, oh, the sun must have been in his eyes yes. or something like that. It was just like a random kick, attacking Three. line in the twenty-two. And lands like perfectly in the corner of the field. It was dead set like a video game animation again. I, I yeah. can't believe like when you play those old footy games, mm. you were wondering why the hell when you set up for a crossfield kick, it just pushed all your backs out to the touchline, and then they kind of all ran <laughs> yeah. together for to the kick. It was like that. They had three outside backs running thirty meters away on the other side of the field, and he puts this huge bomb cross kicker which lands one meter out from the line. It's mm. only that Takiri t- t- runs over the the uh, ball by. Five meters that they don't score. It's just
3: on the money, pinpoint again.
1: Yeah, mm, yeah. and and yet, Kasumi, the Japanese fullback, comes up with the ball and yeah. just oh. goes, and it's brilliant. The thing is, because naturally, I looked at that and thought, kick it, kick it, because the Australian will have no backfield. But he just yeah. brilliantly and steps yeah. inside yeah. and offloads to Onezawa who who then finds Taiera. Yeah, and, or fails to because it's a well, it's a poor pass, really. Yeah, and he knocks it on, but. They made a good like forty yard yards off that, but like that moment when it was nil nil and Onozawa is jetting up down the, like down the field, and there's a part of you that wonders what if that was Owata?
2: <laughs> but... Away, try time.
1: Yeah, that's it. It's when I look back on it, it's kind of the only moment of Japan looking like what you think mm. of Japan as.
3: Yeah, like yeah. they're yeah.
1: generally pretty ropey, but they have one great breakout from behind their own try line. Where free players connect and look effortless, and are all reading each other's minds in the way we're talking about Briggan and Larkham doing, and it and then it just doesn't really happen for the rest of the time. And obviously, the entire second half, I think mean, they touch the ball once and knock it on. Yeah. So it's a, it's a bit of a difficult second half. But that first twenty minutes, they were in it and it was competitive, and they were kind of you know milling about. But like, it, yeah, it's kind of a shame we couldn't have seen a few more of those moments in amongst yeah. Australia doing yeah. that constantly.
2: Yeah, I, I did get the feeling that maybe Eddie Jones was the one that first taught Japan how to play like Japan. Like, mm. there, there's mm. all the chat about, you know, they're a small team, they need to be fast and kick and things like that. But I don't think they really owned that. Yeah, I think mm. Eddie's the one that really sped the play up to the point where it was their point of difference. Whereas in yeah. this game, they kind of looked like they knew they needed to kick, but when they did, they were just horrendous little grubbers or chips mm. that the wall of his very easily covered and then turned the ball over and counterattacked. It wasn't it definitely yeah. wasn't until Eddie where mm. I feel like they really lent into that and did it very, mm. very well.
1: Yeah, and coined that game plan that now Jamie Joseph I guess went on to perfect in twenty nineteen. But it it yeah. is that. It's kind of taking What both of those coaches, Jones and Joseph, have done is that they've taken things that Japan were always doing as part of their rugby culture and turned it into an entire game plan that is cohesive and Mm. works. Like, they've always had a big focus on pre-rehearsed set moves and on pace and on small nines whipping the ball away right away. But they never went, this could be an advantage doing this.
3: Which is what I think Jones
1: did, is he kind of went like, we can build an entire game out of this rather than just having moments for (laughs) work in a game, which is what we get. get, You get the impression in this game. They're like, they're trying to do what everyone else is doing. They're just not very good at it, you know? Yeah, yeah which is probably the problem with John Kerwin. You know, yeah. he is, it's largely is what really he's going important? for. And hence, like, yeah, there was a there was controversy in Japan at the time of him picking lots of foreigners, which mm. kind of hadn't been the case beforehand. And he's come in and picked a lot of, like, you know, foreign players because he's like, well, they know how to it play is. rugby. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Brings in Kiwis and Tongans and the like. Bryce and Michael does comes to
2: to
3: Yeah. Yes. But
2: yeah, he kept him on the bench and did bring him on. So, I mean, he definitely didn't favour the Kiwis too much.
3: Yeah, that's true.
2: But um, yeah, no, look, it it definitely is one of those moments that you can see now looking back on that that's how they should be playing. Yeah. yeah, It's just, was just by the the fluke of it. And and maybe they're the moments that someone like Eddie Jones saw and goes, well, this is how we've got to play. You know, this Mm. is what we've how we've got to work around because clearly there's something there when you see those moments, but they were just too few and far between and weren't yeah, really yeah. thought out at that point.
1: It's interesting as well, of course, bringing up Eddie Jones. At one point on the commentary, they mentioned that Rocky yeah. Elsom has been called out by Eddie Jones for yeah. not working hard enough and being a lazy flanker, which yeah. he responded and- to.
2: Jeez, he was good. I I, I don't know. I thought that was a pretty funny comment because lazy flankers generally are the ones that just want to run with the ball and they're not doing anything around (laughs) tackling or rucks. And all he did was just run with the ball really well. So if anything, I feel like he was just an exceptionally (laughs) athletic attacking threat. I didn't see him do anything else. Well, he didn't need to tackle because... (laughs) Yeah. The whole team made 10 tackles. Like, what did you want to do? Eleven. I suppose 11 the
1: counter-argument <laughs> yeah, the counter then becomes, who needs to work hard when you can score a hat-trick?
2: It's true. It's true. Yeah, well, apparently, you know, scoring a hat-trick
1: gets you 15 points.
2: Eric Barnes needed to work harder because he scored three tries, apparently, yes. but only he only got the ball yeah. down twice over the line. He wasn't working hard enough to get that third one down, but I, <laughs> I don't know where it came from.
1: Yeah, he scored an invisible try, clearly, that none of us saw. Because the commentators be fair, after 15 tries, certain. it does get
2: hard to know where they went. It's yeah. true.
1: It's true. I was thinking, like, is there a try I just wasn't paying attention to? The graphic then comes up saying, oh, that's his second try. You know, he scored yeah. 10 points.
2: I, I do have a question, guys. You you watch a lot of footy. Whatever happened to the water polo-style headgear, where they, like, coloured yeah. out the ears, so it looks like you're wearing a, a water polo cap? Barrett what? Barnes, I thought he was going to make it famous.
1: <laughs> it went the same way as the grip pads on the jersey didn't it it was probably like a brief innovation of like 10 years into professionalism let's try these yeah. wacky ideas and none oh. of them stuck fingerless gloves oh. same era as fingerless gloves yeah. no one wears fingerless this... gloves anymore
2: this was the era like i know i played rugby at a, at a club that wore green and i had like mm. this really green headgear and it was purely because of the, the likes of ghetto and stuff and i had the gloves the more yeah, the gloves. Yeah. And then eventually I lost one. So they became more like gloves that turned into Michael Jackson gloves. And, and I'm pretty sure we had an, another flanker as well, where he always wanted to wear one glove. So we'd both wear one for a, for an extended period of time. Like, it, it, this was a pretty, those little moments were pretty iconic things, I yeah, think, in really, fashionable. Very, you were very fashionable. I wanted people <laughs> to know who I was. Bright green headgear that they know who you are.
1: That was one the, the glove. Key. Yeah. See, I lent my fingerless glove to that penguin who was crying, and it couldn't get them over their flippers. It was <laughs> a nightmare. Yeah, see, you um, good That's yeah, <laughs> yeah, right. Nice. Poor penguin. Yeah, so Rocky Elsom's free try. I mean, we kind of talked about two of them, I suppose. For the third but one, the only notes is... I have is he scores because they don't tackle him. <laughs> yes.
2: <laughs> <laughs> I, I thought that's how he scored all his tries. Like he just refused to be tackled at any point. I, I haven't seen the player stats, but his tackle bus must have been out of this world. He must mm. have had 15 tackle busts. I think so. Mm. It, was, it was interesting. The One thing that surprised me about him was they went, he played rugby league at one point, mm. and I, I didn't believe it. And then there's photos of him. I mean, you guys love your rugby league. So with a guy, John Russell. <laughs> Will, Will knows, this. No, yeah. Will knows, yeah, knows yeah, this. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Thurston, who obviously is this iconic rugby league player, and there's a photo obviously. of him and wearing a, you know, Bulldogs gear. And I, I don't know if he ever was professionally contracted to them, but they won the year before he went back to or went across the union. They won the SG ball, like under 18s or whatever it was. And he's surrounded by all these huge stars at, at NRL. And I didn't even know that I played a game of league in my life. They get, yet they kept talking about Barnes as an ex-rugby league player.
1: Yeah, yeah. They were very excited by Barnes, weren't they? On the comms. Yeah. I was no, at first like before, later before later the game, I was wondering later. why are they constantly talking about when Barrett Barnes was gonna get on. Then I realised, oh oh, it's his test debut when they brought yes, it up later yeah. on. And so, oh okay, suddenly it makes sense.
2: It was the next one. Yeah, he was a freakish talent. Like I think he played like mm-hmm. five years of first grade at school or something. And then mm-hmm. he was playing for Australia in league and union. He was really hyped was a, up as a kid, wasn't he? Yeah, and he was also a, like a state swimmer and an, an Australian cricketer yeah. or something for the juniors. Like they were saying, I think he's one of his coaches or the principal of the school was saying he's the greatest all-round athlete they've ever seen. Like wow, he was a freak. And sure like, I love that. I love that he signed for the Broncos in rugby league and then made his debut at eighteen years old and almost immediately signed a contract for rugby union. <laughs> like yeah. why, why did you go to league? Yeah. As soon as you made it early, early in your career, he just it off and came back. And man, he yeah, was a I love I
1: loved Beric Barnes. Yeah, a real player. I, I knew Beric Barnes was a former rugby league player. I didn't realise he only played one season of rugby league. Yeah. <laughs> How often it came up.
2: Played six games or nine games. That was nine it. Games, nine yeah. games. Yeah. And then he, immediately I, I, went to the Reds and was just like, see
1: ya.
3: He, Bye. He played,
2: he played 51 caps for Australia, but he still feels like this player as an Aussie that you sit back and you look at and went, we lost him too soon. Like he left and Mm. went to Japan and should have been in Australia playing for a longer period of time. His last Wallaby cap was 2013, and that's when he went to the Wild Knights. But 27 he would have been. Yeah. And I I think that he was very good when he left for the Waratahs. He was very, very Mm. good. And potentially coming into his prime uh, as a playmaker, some, you know, up and down moments for, for the Tars, but he was just such a talented player. And, and yeah. Too, too soon in Aussie rugby, I,
1: I I would argue the prime of his career was every time he played Wales.
2: <laughs> <laughs> That's the prime of most of all of his careers, though, to be fair. That's true. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> Including
1: some recent, recent ones. Yeah.
2: yeah. Lachlan
1: Noggin is now on that list.
2: That's right. That's yeah. right.
1: As an outsider from the northern hemisphere, to me it it surprises me that he got fifty caps in a way, because oh, I, spe- I suppose he spent a lot of time yeah. injured, didn't he? And as you say, like he quit his yeah. career early, but. At the same time, like, it feels like he had such, like, long, kind of fulfilled career, because he did so much in whatever games he did play, and like, we've yeah. covered him 2011 as well, and he, he looked like one of Australia's most important players in that tournament. And yeah, as you say, he went forward to 2013, that was the Lions Tour was his last kind of set of caps, yeah. wasn't it? And yeah. Yeah, I remember at that yeah. point, he'd moved to fullback, and it was still just like, there's always, like, they have to get him in the team, because he's such a kind of triple threat kind of player.
2: He was coming through then at a time that had Quade, Hurtley, like all these 10, 15, like playmakers. Mm. Mike
1: Harris, you know, the lot of them. Uh,
2: yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, Sam Norton Knight, I don't know <laughs> if you guys saw uh, <laughs> Yeah. R- right. Hey, this
1: town, this town is still shaking when there was Sam Norton Knight, I heard.
2: Like, <laughs> I saw he everyone around
1: up. shudder. Suddenly. That's why the and Penguins crying came up.
2: <laughs> oh, yeah. we know, mate. He been for the Waratahs for years. We
3: know.
1: Yeah. <laughs> in fact any cool. chatter you can hear in the background any background noise is entirely people going remember that game you played against edinburgh
3: <laughs> did he go to the never Cup?
2: did you go to the world he cup he was in the shadow squad he was in the shadow
3: okay. squad the shadow but squad
2: I think is like 20 years old above him
1: Looks like a cia operation the shadow squad either that or a know. 90s hip-hop group <laughs> i, was, I
2: know right I also love that Beric Barnes, at 20 years old, le- one or two seasons in Union got picked above him from the Reds team that came dead last in the competition. And their last game of the season was their biggest ever loss in Super Rugby and still is, 92-3 to to the Bulls. So, clearly, Beric Barnes... Well, same scoreline, exactly is orchestrating this? ...orchestrating a strong side. I don't know how he was picked. It's anyway.
1: so one so, point off the same scoreline as this.
2: There's That's an right.
3: Article, yeah, I
1: in my brief research on Beric Barnes from 2007, uh, basically it was quite controversial at the time that he was brought in ahead of, again apparently, four young playmakers. Right, so Beric Barnes, fifty cap international; Quade Cooper, fifty cap international; Kurtley Beale, fifty cap international; and Sam Norton Knight. <laughs> <laughs> So those four were seen as like the four up-and-comers, and and it was controversial that Barnes was the one they got the call at the time ahead of the others. For the benefit Um, of the listener, Nelson's head just sunk into his palm.
2: Yeah, I mean, there's some good names there. And there's Northern Knight. I would say there's generally uh, – I I was looking at some of the fan feedback on the squad, and the the first comment I saw on the whole squad release was, quote, what a shite team, not enough Tars. (laughs) typical. And if there's one not- if That happens now. Like so that is, if there's one changed. thing that's typical of Australian rugby, it's never ever been there's not enough tars. So it was just <laughs> so fantastic, and clearly there's a lot of hate for Barry Barnes over there at the time. Well,
1: the part of this article, the on you know Barry Barnes being picked, says that a part of it is that his bubbling optimism is a big part of him being picked over the other three because he was just like a really lovely wanting to learn bright spark you know up and comer blah de blah and apparently that was a huge part of them going with him over sam norton knight uh, i mean you say that you, you, like we joke about this but also you're looking at the other contenders one of them was curtly Beale. yeah, yeah. <laughs> what a surprise like i mean i i don't know much about curtly Beale and what he's like as a bloke but he he comes across like somebody who's almost coasted on talent because he's mm. that good and he's like a schoolboy prodigy and and at, all
2: yeah, at two thousand seven, was that his first year out of school? Yeah, he was, he he mm. he, he had, was very used to people blowing smoke up his ass. He was nineteen; oh, yeah. he was a year younger, so he yeah. was only nineteen mm. at the time. And there was right, already yeah. chat that he's the future. Yeah, mm. he was yeah. very good. I've, I mean, he, I've seen the the videos
1: of him as like high school
2: prodigy. He trained with the Wallabies at sixteen. Yeah, his mm. first year out of school would have been yeah. the year before that, and he was the player of the tournament for the Australian Rugby Championship. Yeah, one of, hit one of the car, like he was unbelievable. That's ridiculous.
1: Away. That's ridiculous. Because the other name is, as you say, Quade Cooper, who, fantastic player, like, clearly quite a good lad as well, but like, it says a lot about Quade Cooper. Yesterday, I saw he, he was on Twitter on one of those little Twitter hangout things, the voice things, like, in like a, he always does these like stoner hangouts with like NFT bros, and he was talking about Better Call Saul with just some yeah, random right. people on Twitter, like this time yesterday. Which- I love the thought. There's no way Quade Cooper watched all of Better Call Salt and got got it without wanting to do him down. Like...
2: It's, I would say, guys, if you could refer to him as 2023 World Cup winning fly-half Quade Cooper, <laughs> it would be much appreciated, just to show some respect. I think, okay, I think the biggest thing that we take out of this is, like, we, Beric Barnes decided to leave early. We're talking about Quade and Beal, mm. you know, being brought back. What is Sam Norton Knight doing? <laughs> 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 there's a jersey with his name on it it's he's in his prime now i reckon i believe we he was mentioned... actually
1: playing in the japanese league like two years ago still he's i think he's retired, retired but... like third third division yeah you know, i'm pretty but... sure yeah, yeah, yeah. we've now mentioned him three times he is going to appear in front of me <laughs> <when> <laughs> the shop. he's barred he's from cardiff
2: speaking speaking <clears throat> of players that should be playing now can i just take a slight pivot Mm. Tatafu Pilotta now was 22 Mm. years old for this World Cup, and he was there was some controversy that he was missed out as the third Mm. hooker in the squad to Sean Hardman, who no one will ever remember in in, in Wallaby's Kid. I've never heard of him exactly. He was the reserve hooker for the Reds at the time, who, as I said, came dead last in Super Rugby. And uh, anyway, so Tatafu. Was, was controversially one that missed out. He's now 37 years old. And considering our hooker stocks, I'm just thinking if all these other blokes can come back, surely Tatafu Pilota now can play. Yes. Mm. I Look, I love Tafu Pilota now, but he mm. is getting red carded in the first minute of every match he walks in the field now. <laughs> yep. He's a calf tackle. Yeah. Yeah. The, the diving at the knees the and the tackle. shit like that. Like he is, Latu has trying to like model his game around. Uh, Polotta now, and he's still nowhere near as more likely to get carded. Like oh, come on, mate! I don't know. No. He's pretty good at getting carded. Oh, maybe off the field <laughs> he's great driving, but that's what he he wins at for sure. But maybe not on the field. They're both pretty bad.
1: One of my main memories of Tathri Plotter now is our our. I don't know if you remember our dad, Will. vaguely I Remember him? Yeah, yeah. I remember our father. Ask. Asking... Yeah. <laughs> Remember only through marriage I remember (laughs) our dad I don't know what that means our dad asking like what's the name of this wallabies hooker because he's he's really good he's always good for them and it's like oh Palotta now and he was like Palotta and he just went Palotta and he just called him Palotta from then on and I very quietly every now and again go it's Palotta now it's longer and he'd be like (laughs) oh it's Palotta now is it oh now it's Palotta I'm
2: pretty sure there was a lot of Palotta um... now puns yeah
1: like a, apoco- a plot in apocalypse now, a plot in now. If I'd been Sketch. doing what I do now when he was playing, I would have mm-hmm. spent three weeks on that pun, ten, ten
2: and nobody in the comments would have
1: mentioned it. <laughs> yeah,
2: yeah, yeah. it's like your dad always thought they were trying to use context of when Potter did Ooh. something. Potter <laughs> yeah. now thro- throws the ball in. Potter <laughs> now makes a tackle. Speaking about hookers, like it wasn't <laughs> that long before that that. I mean, we really got into rugby, and Jeremy mm. Paul was oh, yes. was playing. And mm. I had a mate that was Jerry, and a mate that was Paul. And my mum <laughs> years to figure out when I'm talking about Jeremy Paul. I'm talking about footy, uh, footy it was player. the on- <laughs> no the ongoing joke forever from our dad was Jeremy yeah. and Paul were yeah. doing something. Yeah, she just never got it. Mum never. Got <laughs>
1: it. <laughs> Jeremy comma Paul.
2: Yeah. They, to be Who fair, would they were... ever
1: have two first names? God, yeah. uh, outrageous!
2: None of, outrageous.
1: Us. None, of None, None of us. None of us. No one in this. No one in this chat.
2: No, not at all. There's yeah, not a single
1: that... surname in this Zoom call.
2: Adam Fryer, <laughs> yeah. Adam Fryer was the reserve hooker. I remember, like, I don't know how old he is now. He's probably still playing. I think he, the bloke's still playing is. 42. But he's playing at Ramwood, <clears> I'm pretty sure? Yeah, he, were, he When I was grade. when I was playing grade, I remember coming up against him, and he was like 37 or something like that, he's... and was still an absolute weapon. And he'd play fourth grade, third grade, second grade, first grade. Like he'd play every match of the day at you know in his late late 30s. He he was a freakish player and lots of hard work and just a real stocky unit.
3: Mm, mm.
1: Fair play. I'm not really familiar with him coming into this, mm. so it's it's good it? to know that he's also a good lad who's very committed to playing in in Boy, his he's, latter he's... Latter, <laughs> latter career. <laughs>
2: He was, uh, he, he was criticized for his throwing, but Nelson and I growing up, he was like our favorite hooker because he did his outrageous, like squat thing before he would throw. <laughs> and it was like, <laughs> it was the only way we could throw a ball in when we were mucking around at the park. <laughs> I, I, I've thrown one line out in my entire rugby career, like as, as an adult. And that was at Subby's, like just muck around footy. And I did the bob before I threw it. This oh like yes, three years ago, and it did Iconic. not go straight. Iconic. And it was called up, and that was the only line out I got to throw. So <laughs> it didn't work. I thought it was going to make it go straight.
1: <laughs> shame. Maybe but, there's a reason why he's the only person who ever did it.
2: I think so. <laughs> 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 probably, probably right.
3: Ready to pop the question?
0: To get started, visit plushcare.com slash loss. That's plushcare.com slash weightloss.
1: Just on this Wallabies front row as well, there's something else. Al Baxter, the tight head, is part of a very small group of players that I really like who just quit in order to do another job. Like, he retired from rugby to become an architect, and he was just like, I've just had enough, I just want to be an architect instead. (laughs) And, like, these come through every now and again. Like, Simon Hammersley last year, uh place for Sale, quitting to become a financial consultant. Just because, like, well, you know what? I fancy a change. And I'm a big fan of all of that. It was was someone for Leicester quit the other year. Don Barrow. Don 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 Barrow. Barrow. He quit. He just went, I'm just bored of rugby. Johan Hurston did it, it it, then came back. Yeah, I'm just, I just, I quite enjoy that. I quite enjoy players who just get tired of being involved in rugby all day, every day, and just go, you know what, I'm going to do something else. It's incredible because we hear in the 87 World Cup, like, oh yeah, this player has dreams of doing this one day, you know, being an actor yeah. one day or whatever. But here, it's like, oh, they're all professionals, they're all living their dreams now. And Al Baxter yeah. still is that guy. Like, he dreams of one day becoming an architect, and he managed it. <laughs> he only played rugby in order to go to stadiums because he just loved looking at stadium architecture. <laughs> He's got an in.
2: That way. Yeah, that's That's how you make the connections. Very smart. Yeah. Very smart. He tactically
1: became a pro rugby player. So gutted yeah. that one of his World Cups was at home, so he couldn't go around and admire architecture from different places. Whereas here, he could go and see French architecture. He could have a full, full nose around Lyon and see all their statues. By the way, you mentioned that. Oh, yeah. So... We mentioned we've we've had a couple of chats off air with the two of you. So all four of us are going to France next year, mm. and we watched this game. And immediately, I saw the stadium, I saw the weather and the conditions and the atmosphere and everything, and thought, we're all going to experience this next year. How insanely excited does that make you guys? Yeah. Oh,
2: not not only that, but guys, are you going to be there for the quarterfinals? Are you there for this whole thing? Yes.
1: yes. Yeah. So I'm there the whole way. Yeah. I'm going home once or twice. So Will's going home partway through and then coming back, and I'm just out there from like a week beforehand. the.
2: I did the go home second coming for Japan. It was amazing. But for for this one, my wife has to go home before the quarterfinals. So Nelson and I both have Uh. tickets. I have a spare ticket. Our older brother is also going to be in Europe. He's going to fly over and watch it with us. So, yeah, we're going to have the the trilogy. So if you're uh, you're (laughs) around at a pub... He doesn't know very much about rugby at all, but he'll have a great time. <laughs> Neither fun. do we. They're That's fine. Harry. Very similar to Harry. doesn't
1: understand rugby <laughs> very well. You but, can I mention something yeah. I've just realised? Right? So we're talking about next year. This game takes place in Lyon, which is where Wales play Australia next year. What?
2: I mean, Wales play Australia every year, every World Cup. <laughs> yeah. So it was a fair yeah. chance. But yeah, yes. it's probably the same date. Let's, it's, yeah.
1: it's we're something. all going to that game, aren't we? We all have tickets for that game. Yes, Australia? Really, yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. So the thing is, right? I would say, oh yeah, we should probably do something afterwards. But you're going to beat us, so we shouldn't no, 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 <laughs>
2: do something <laughs> before. Let's, let's not be that confident. We'll do something yeah. before. But we do need a wager. We definitely need a wager.
1: Yeah. Okay. We'll have to figure okay. that out. Yeah. Yeah. But we... the, it's super exciting, though. Just, as I say, like looking at the French stadiums and like oh. the atmosphere that created and everything, and going like, oh, we get to experience this soon. Super exciting.
2: Yeah, I mean, there's probably no better place in the world to have a World Cup at the moment in terms mm. of just fan, fan excitement and engagement and things. I think that that's the key spot I'd be wanting to watch a World
3: Cup at the moment. Absolutely. Um, you do you want that? another great yeah. stat
1: about that stadium that was being played in? Go on. So a few weeks before this World Cup, the Rolling Stones played there and it was also where David Bowie did his last gig in France. Oh, wow. Wow. So there you go. Pink Floyd, Michael Jackson, and Genesis have also played there. There are some stats, pointless stats, about the... Pink stadium. Floyd, Michael Jackson, Genesis, and Yuki Atomi
3: yeah. have
1: all played there. And oh, soon enough, we will have uh, us watching yeah. but that's the real game. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know what that it's means. I'm sorry to have interrupted that for pointless, very so, facts. So, a big moment in the game I think we need to talk about, right? There's a point where Australia drop a ball and Hirotoki Onozawa is on it like a puma, right? And yeah. Sterling Mortlock, the bastard, goes, no, you're not having this, and pulls him back. It's it's almost as controversial as Lottie Takiri's jumper, as far as I'm concerned. <laughs> it's It's a huge moment in the game. Australia are, at this point, granted, only 23 points up, but... Could have been a momentum swinging moment in the game. So referee Alan Lewis gives Japan the penalty on the 10-metre line. And you boys, you know, there's no drop goal. So I feel like I want to get your opinions on this moment in the game. Were your hearts in your (laughs) mouths?
2: Huge, huge moment. If anything, I I thought I I purposely didn't go back and look at the result for this one. And I thought this was the turning point. I thought this is when it all (laughs) fell apart. The Wallabies looked rattled. Sterling mm. Morlock didn't know how to hold the defense back. And of course, the uh the Japanese by who was their kicker? Who's their who's the ten? Oh no, oh, is it Ono oh, no. that kicked it? Yeah. yeah. Oh no. He <laughs> kicks the goal straight through the, the middle of the post. He's, and it's like it's like it was nothing to him. Absolutely nothing. You knew at that point it was twenty three three. They they brought it within three tries and they just scored three points. So you go th- if, if we kept going on these threes, they're, they're a real chance. They're accumulating now. They're, they're accumulating yeah. now. It's yeah. huge. So, just so close at that point, I reckon. Right, it, Cool.
1: It means that Australia going, luckily, 23-3 up as we reach the Bundaberg halftime wrap sponsored by Panasonic rather than just halftime. <laughs> That's, that, that is what it is referred to as. That's us. another thing that happens during this. Is they keep I seemingly cutting to adverts and then they'll throw back with a presenter who will then just like step in and go I mean, I wrote one of them down he goes, the running game, Rocky Elsom, 16 nil kick to come
3: this- and it's like, he's
1: just he's just throwing in these weird like idioms almost about the game, he'll be, you know, he'll step in and go jazz the 3-4 mark <laughs> 4 26-7 did any of you see the subliminal advertising that came up at one point? So oh, there's yeah. a point where the game did this thing where it faded to black, and it happened a handful of times, hmm. then it immediately comes back. But on one of them in particular, there was literally for one frame, it took me ages to actually pause it on the right one, just suddenly, literally for one frame, up comes a link, which says www.ychooseplasma.com.au I went to this website, and it no longer exists, that domain. That's oh, a free domain. Yeah. Well- they were ad breaks. So it's probably just the last frame of the advert,
2: someone couldn't cut out. Genius but- to actually buy that domain name now with this podcast going out. So like, I can imagine <laughs> the traffic is going to skyrocket with all that Squidge and other Squidge have. Yeah. Another, you know, IsraelFaloud.com Yeah. Yeah, yeah, real yeah. opportunity.
1: I'll re- register that alongside. You know, yeah. I, until recently, I just let it expire. I own BrexitNegotiations.com as well, <laughs> which I bought for a separate i was do, a whole other thing I was doing another show thing I don't have to do something I have to do a segment for it, so I emailed a bunch of people from an official seeming account called brexit at like so and so at brexit dot and I got a few reports. basically i was trying to i was trying to interview i was trying to get a famous magician to bless brett it was it well, it made sense at the time um was, the was it what, uh, Not at night? yeah <laughs> We can't say his name. He will appear. It was a no. Never mind. Let's not. Let's mm. another time. <laughs> another Anyway, time maybe why choose plasma was advertised Story. during the second half. Um, so what's hmm. the momentary? What's the yeah.
2: What's the answer? Why choose plasma? <laughs> it's a good question.
1: Well, I tried to find that out by going to the going to the website, and it just says this domain does not exist. It's just like that. That's well, no. lost to history. That the answer yeah. to that question. Why choose plasma? Reason.
2: For some reason, Plasma TVs are no longer thriving. Who'd, who'd have thought? <laughs>
1: Entirely because <laughs> that website ran out. Yeah.
2: This, they did say that this game was in high definition, and it made me realise that that's very subjective. It sucks. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> that's, that was not high def.
1: Was this, this would have been the first World Cup shot in HD. Yeah. There you go, There's a huh? mildly interesting fact yeah. for yeah. some people. Yeah, second uh, game ever shot in HD, this. In the World Cup, that is. That's so, it. second half, second half. <laughs> Yuki Yotomi does a random grubber to Dottie to Takiri. I just think, yeah, what a guy. You go, Yotomi. You keep doing you. <laughs> um, let's,
2: let's call the, surely we can call the second half the Drew Mitchell half. Yeah. Where yes. every time he touches the ball, he just outpaces or runs through people and scores Yes. So it was, it he made me realise that he was very good. Like I, I knew I always liked him, and he was always <laughs> really good. But you just watch this and you go, "Geez, he's really quick! Like he's just coming and burning yeah. from the outside. And he yeah. start, does a couple of little shimmies and
1: he's such a like properly well-rounded winger. That he was a brilliant <clears throat> yeah. finisher with genuine like top-end gas, could <laughs> pass and link up with players, and had a really good boot on him as well. Like he was a really, really solid winger, and it, it, he comes on and scores immediately by just yeah. burning Kitagara on the outside.
2: He's got the um, Andrew Mertons disease where like. When you listen to him speak, you forget that he was really good at rugby. Like, <laughs> I I actually like
1: Drew Mitchell as a pundit. I like him.
2: I mean, he 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 did one. You maybe... mustn't get much <clears throat> of him over there. He was <laughs> blind drunk at one of our, the last games. Absolutely lit, and they kept cutting to him. Like it was. You mean know, he had no voice? No, he was blind drunk. he, he had no voice. He'd been partying at. We've got a uh, aqua rugby over here, and it was this big event at Manly. Right, and he'd been drinking all day, and went to a, a thing that night for a Wallabies match, and was on the telly clearly blind drunk. <laughs> and they kept cutting to him, and most people wouldn't tell because he just doesn't make that much sense most of the time, and he couldn't speak. <laughs> I think that was why they put him on. He literally had no voice. He was think, blind drunk. I think
1: we're onto something here. I think drunk punditry is the way forward. I think so. Look, we should what one day do get? an episode of This Drunk. I don't know why we didn't oh, do that can't... in 87. Maybe when we do <laughs> 1991, we'll do the whole series hammered. No, 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 no. I want to go full in. I want Next Six Nations a couple of months time, right? ITV need a full panel of Brian O'Driscoll, Johnny Wilkinson, and Sir Clive Woodward, ladders.
2: <laughs> well, if you, if you need <laughs> to sell it to them, sign us up. We'll get drunk with you. We'll just live stream a game and, and commentate it especially if it's (laughs) Australia versus Wales Wales at some point, and do that. That'd that'd be some good gear. That sounds good. I have heard. I remember hearing somewhere that Squid Rugby had the most, second most viewers out of any group in all of rugby in the world. That was only second to Rugby World Cup, the uh, International Rugby Board. And with Bernard Laporte now being stood down, I believe that makes you two the most powerful people in all of the (laughs) world. If anyone can do it, it's you guys. I think just... Make a few phone calls, boys. It'll be a piece of cake.
1: Make one phone call to Clive Woodward. Be like, look, I've got 20 shots of tequila with your name on them. Let's celebrate your win last month in the 2003 World Cup where you live permanently.
2: <laughs> we'll do it for free. Can you imagine the experiment? How many shots of tequila does it take Clive Woodward to become palatable? <laughs> do we have to
3: do the shots? Was he
2: doing the shots? I think he does them. Okay. Yeah, that'd be good. Get, I like it.
1: Like, no, after two, he'll just start calling for Eddie Jones to resign again. <laughs> <laughs> just be constant.
2: we have definitely got to do alternative drunk commentating. Make it, make it happen, boys. We're on. Yeah, board. yeah,
1: yeah. That is the only circumstance under which I will see Clive Wood on television again. <laughs>
2: <laughs> It'd be good,
1: good game. Oh, uh, that's incredible. My brain is just mentally running through. Any internationals or former internationals, I think I could like. like. So I had a moment this weekend where I was at the Ospreys Leicester game. And like I was in a little like bar beforehand, and a bunch of Ospreys players walked by. And Dowie Lake, Wales hooker, like as he was leaving the room, came up to me and went, You're all right, how are you going? You know, like we know each other slightly, but haven't spoken in a while and don't know each other well enough to have a proper chat. So I went, Yeah, all right, how are you? And he was like, Yeah, all right. And then walked off. And so clearly he recognized me, but had no idea where from. And came over (laughs) to just say hi. Thought you were one of the youngsters in the squad, clearly. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Very small.
2: I'd personally, I'd love to see, uh, if we're doing this drunk commentary, Sterling Mm. Mortlock get get drunk and and have a crack at it. It, Speaking of Japan and Australia, at the last World Cup in Japan, I met Sterling Mortlock and had far too many sakis with the blush. And he, he was literally down, so keen to come to karaoke with us. And I was just so in awe of the bloke. So what exciting. did he sing? No, this is it. He got scared <laughs> off by Nelson's huge erection. <laughs> <laughs> it wasn't that big, but it was there. That's what matters.
1: Um, I immediately he, put my notebook down when you said all of this. How, how did he handle his booze?
2: Oh, he, was, he was good. He drank me under the table because mm. we were, it was actually a, a wallabies function. And they came, I was drinking whiskey and sake, but mainly Japanese whiskey and they would come and free pour it from behind your shoulder and fill up your glass. So you couldn't keep count of what you were drinking. And he, I'm pretty sure he was drinking beer. So I was going like one for one with one of my all-time heroes, talking about his gloves, that sort of stuff. And he's like, I mean, let's go to karaoke. And was selling us on the idea of karaoke. We got downstairs, and he's like, oh, I, I'm too drunk. I can't do it. And he jumped in a cabin oh. left. We went to karaoke's. And this is one of the moments that I've definitely let Japan get on top of me. And I'd ended up vomiting in the waiting room of karaoke. And I'm, I, it's not a typical behavior for me. But the one other Aussie bloke that came up with us and was keen was to come just walks over, uses his hands, scoops up all the vomit on the ground, <laughs> and goes and walks over and puts it in the bin. And all I can remember out of that is, is going... a Wallaby test player? No, it wasn't a test player. <laughs> but I just remember sitting there going, thank God Sterling Mortlock didn't come and have this <laughs> moment ingrained into him if he ever sees me again. And so I'm so thankful he didn't actually come sing karaoke.
1: Okay, fair enough. Fair yeah. enough. That could have been very... Not memorable. Memorable's oh. the wrong word. I imagine you don't without remember the, much of it.
2: Without the vomiting, it could have been, if he came to karaoke, one of my lifetime. Yeah, but he hopefully he can recreate that in France.
1: Out. Hopefully, one See, of your wallaby heroes does go on a night out with the karaoke with you in France. I Maybe they need to try and make of, that happen. We, yeah, <laughs> yeah, we can make that happen.
2: Drew Mitchell will be there, pissed. You know, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. yeah, definitely. Yeah, yeah
1: 10 out of 10 would you. sing karaoke with Drew Mitchell. See, I had a similar but completely different experience when I was in Japan, in that I once ended up drinking in a room. I, I later that night ended up in the middle of the square in, I think it was Kaimashi maybe? Komamoto, it was Komamoto. In the middle of the square, the police had to come and break it up because we had a game of sevens in the middle of the square <laughs> that night, all of us drunk, including one, da- like, I think Danish international. Oh, it was yeah. a Danish international second row who was clearly class. He was basically because he was the best lineout operator in Denmark, and the rest of his game was like not as strong. But like he was a great lineout forward. when Tell you was get forget it. drunk punditry, um, drunk rugby, please. But oh, as we I were coming up with effective. this plan, as we were coming up with this plan, two things happened. One was a guy came over to me and went, "I'm very high up in the Fijian Rugby Union, and I want to say I like your work." And I was like, "Great, thank you." Didn't quite know what to say but was very, very touched. And the other thing was we realised that Shane Williams and Tom Shanklin were drinking in the other corner of the room. <laughs> and I had a moment of thinking, do we ask Tom Shanklin to come and play with us? Yes.
3: <laughs> do we Do
1: we ask? As, as a different, bald number 13, <laughs> I wondered, you know, as a link up to Sterling Mortlock? We did not, but the police did have to break up the game at 2am, we, we <laughs> uh, um, which is a huge shame. We
2: had a game of rugby broken up in japan as well
1: no,
3: uh, really.
2: the, our third our third podcaster kagi mm. we do you know when the uh the site was it the tsunami not the tsunami what did they have the,
3: the uh, yeah um, the typhoon, typhoon. Mm.
2: yeah so we we rushed jumped on a train got out of the city and we were in some other city i can't even remember where it was mm. and we went during a lull in the storm like this is the perfect time let's go outside and just pass the footy around and play some touch footy <laughs> And there's no one around. So we're playing in the middle of the road. And this police car floors up to us and screeches on the the brakes and starts yelling at us in Japanese. And we're like, we don't speak Japanese. Pretty sure, we're all probably wearing Wallabies jerseys and stuff. And they're like, go inside. You're not allowed to be outside. I'm like, yeah, probably fair. (laughs) All (laughs) we want to do is pass a footy in the middle of a, a, a big storm. Because surely if we're talking about people drinking and, and commentating and personalities in uh, in France next year, surely the man has to be Matt Guido. Not only oh. is he relevant to this pod because he started at 12 and he was the Wallabies backup nine and ten as well. But on top of that, he obviously played for Toulon for, what, seven years. He's clearly the mm-hmm. prince of Toulon. I assume he owns most of the city by this point. <laughs> he, uh, he owned a wine, a wine company for a little while with Drew Mitchell and Adam Ashley Cooper as well. If there's one mm. person that we can get on the beers or on the wines in France to try and tell some yarns, surely it's Matt Guido. Yeah. Good shout. Yeah,
1: that's a great show. Does love
2: a beer. Does yeah. love a beer. And, uh, I mean, I'm going to put it that there. He's got his two sons. They're future Wallabies. His, his mm. sister <laughs> yeah, married course. Buddy Franklin, who is one of the best ever AFL players in Australia. And the guy is... Right. Enormous. So there is some amazing...
1: And today. she's played rugby union for Australia, hasn't she, as well? Like, she's I got so. a fair few caps, yeah. Or
2: was, it, or was it one of... was? I think it could have been that his sister did as well. Yeah, I think so. I think so. Yeah, Kirstie Christy
1: Getter. Christy it? Christy Getter. Christy Getter. Christy
2: Getter, a dual-code rugby international Wow. Like, always, okay. So there's a James lot of travel. talent in that. That's what yeah. we know. Well, yeah. their dad, yeah, his, their dad, was a, a rugby league player as well. Sure. Right. Wow. Yeah. Okay. And his wife played for uh, one of the franchises in the netball in Australia as well. So there's some good wow. Okay. Jesus,
1: yeah. That's just carrying on throughout the family. That that gets is, is, yeah. Yeah, like yeah, Roman and esque level of like yeah, prodigy line. Yeah, that. yeah. That's very scary. So sign them up so now. We're gonna get schooled by Matt Gitto's kids in a car park in France next year. That's what I'm saying. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Like, uh, I'd, I'd love that. I'd love that.
2: Yeah, so, <laughs> and then go sing karaoke with Mortlock. Yeah, <laughs> that's <laughs> that's the
1: dream evening for this pod. Let's make it
2: happen. Genuinely, yeah. in Leon somewhere next year
1: when the Wallabies play Australia, let's have a late night game. Wallabies play a Australia. a car park somewhere. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's let's find happens, somewhere right. in Leon and let's we can. That's what we'll about do. It. We can make this happen. Yeah, we'll, we'll get as many people down as we can. That's that's fine. Sounds great. Adam Cooper scores a try. Nathan Sharp makes. a br- Sorry to link back to the actual podcast that we're doing. We're well, talking but... rugby. No. Yeah, apparently so. But Nathan Sharp makes a little bit of a break, and George Greeken is just on it and follows him up and links up with Ashley Cooper. Yeah. It's very nice. Always enjoy watching Alan Ashley Cooper score because he always mm. enjoys it oh, as, like, as much Great himself. try. Yeah. yeah. And he doesn't Focusing... see much of the ball, but like he makes the most of it when he does. He certainly does.
2: Hmm. Focusing on Nathan Sharp for a minute, I kind of went in and out of loving him and hating him when he was playing for the Wallabies. I, d- I don't know why. yeah. Th- He's, he's obviously a lovable guy. Why Richard. did you hate him? I don't know. Like There was times where I didn't think he deserved to be selected, times where he was one of my favourites. But he was exceptional as a first mm. receiver. Surely this is the yeah. only days when tight forwards were playing as link players. He for sure. He the ball so much. I think he even set up one of the tries with an inside ball. didn't mm. mm. he? Yeah,
3: mm. yeah. And he, yeah. Up, and, and, and he scored and a try himself at the start.
1: Yeah.
2: Unbelievable but game. He, he
1: was another one of those players who saved all of his best performances to be against Wales. Yeah. but it it was that thing that we see a lot now where you have a forward kind of position as you say a first receiver then you've got kind of plays yeah. out of the boot and you can mm. then do further playmaking when you've got someone else there like Nathan Sharp being so good at that and making those decisions last second is what are we talking like 10 years ahead of his time yeah definitely yeah, like definitely. eight years at least Yeah, probably ahead of that becoming like a widespread tactic but just because he was great at it they could do yeah. that early like, yeah. There's a couple of points where Larkham's bringing in like pods of four as a playoff 10 and so on in that very similar system. Like, there's a lot of stuff that's really interesting that Wallabies are doing that mm. kind of, as I said, like are now catching on.
2: Which, By the way, got two meter go. man, two meters as well. He's not, he's not just your <laughs> flanker that you're in, the blokes two meters tall.
1: Yeah, yeah, it's insane. Can we quickly talk about the George Smith try, please? Because oh, oh my, he, yeah, he is a freak. So yeah, he. First, first and foremost, like chases a kick and sprints into the Japanese half. Right, Australia tackle Japan, set up, break down the edge of twenty-two, and then yeah, he flies off the line, nails who's it? it's Vatavai he nails uh, Taira, the
2: outside center. Yeah.
1: Oh, yeah, Taira. That was it. That's it. That's it. He, he nails nails him, and then before like, <clears> he nails him without even falling on the floor himself. So he stays on his feet the entire time. At this, this point, the law stated that the tackler didn't have to get back on side; could just pick up the ball and. Kairo drops the ball. Smith picks it up and just runs into the corner.
3: Next and level. He little,
2: and he does a little cheeky dive as well. Like yeah, he, he as someone who grew up playing flanker, he was an absolute god. Like the the things mm. that he could do, you know. And he'd, he'd kick the ball. He'd throw cutouts. He'd do flicks. Like he was just this. I remember when he came back to the Wallabies and to Australian rugby in a the stat end stat of his of career, and Hooper and Pocock were both running around at the time, mm-hmm. and obviously both exceptional players in their own right, and he, he run, he strolls back into Super mm-hmm. Rugby age 33, 34, something like that, and he ended up finishing the season with more ta- turnovers than yeah. Pocock and more runs and tackle busts than Hooper. I did a yeah. weekly, <laughs> weekly yeah. stat. How? How was that possible at that age to be that freaking good?
1: The stuff he managed at the end of his career was just genuinely insane he got Hmm. premiership uh, english premiership player of the year playing for bristol at the age of 39 i believe which (laughs) is just ridiculous like he he was like throughout his career seen as like one of the world's most perfect rugby players and rightfully so
3: just next level
1: eddie jones said about him that he plays like he's covered in spiders because no one ever wants to touch him (laughs) which you get a real sense of that in both him making the tackle and then his break afterwards Hmm. And
2: his hair as well. Single-handedly, my my most favourite player, I think, Mm, ever to take a running field. He's he's that good. Yeah. And Um, and he had a brother as well, Tyrone Smith. Did you guys know anything about his brother? I
1: didn't know he had a brother.
2: Yeah, he was a centre, played Brumbies stuff like that. He was pretty solid too, to be fair. He was. He'd put some hits on in the centres, but I mean, he was no one
3: it
1: wasn't like the exceptional world-class talent like of george uh, smith
3: it's yeah
1: yeah no that's fair enough that's fair enough we've got i think two more tries that we so, can one thing on george smith do I'll oh, go on very quickly just like so his hair stands out because he does not look like the george smith you remember at this period no. because in january of that year of 2007 so december january he had shaved his head off cut all his dreadlocks off shaved you know, his head soft. off <laughs> yeah, it was. He saw that one tackle earlier. I saw had a head taken off, yeah, and when yeah, followed so out to yeah. Fregan. Yeah, yeah, fellow George has got to stick together. So, yeah, he he shaved the dreadlocks off and gave some of them directly to kids with cancer. And the other ones he auctioned oh. off to raise money for them. And then this is it slowly starting to grow back, and it looks mad as a look if he chose, yeah. Them, but it's him trying to grow his dreadlocks back at the time. Yeah. To quote Ben Tune on the comms: "Rubbish haircut, great try." Yeah, (laughs) Ben Tune, who scored in a World Cup final, which is the (laughs) one fact worth knowing about him. Uh But but the commentator mentions a few times, now, if anyone knows about knee injuries, it's Ben Tune.
2: (laughs) Yes. That's pretty rough. (laughs)
1: speaking of at one point the wallabies bring on mark gerard and i go oh mark gerard's on because i've only seen him play for the wallabies once and that was his final test against samoa where he was terrible so that is kind of my memory of mark gerard as a wallaby but he comes on for about two minutes then goes off so literally i've written down mark gerard on ellipsis and then try, oh mark, mark gerard off so it was a very short turnaround he's,
2: he's a funny he's a funny player Mark Girard, because I, I remember him being a pretty good player like mm, he was great, great. yeah, he uh, was very good. And and the back end of his career, I think he got better better. I think he had quite a few injuries as yeah. well uh, for, for a few years there. But you yeah, know he he was a pretty good player. But yeah, it was within a couple minutes he was taken off injured. And the Wallabies decide John Connolly goes. You know what? We'll play with fourteen men. That's fine. We don't want to risk anyone else getting injured. We'll play with fourteen. That's fine.
3: Yeah, and
1: there was no issues. Sure. Realistically. Shortly after this, Mark Gerard goes on to play for Tonga in a coronation match to celebrate the King of Tonga. What?
2: I don't know either. (laughs) Wow. um, There we go. He's now 40 years old. He's still playing third grade footy for Warringah in the shoot shield. And he's 191 centimeters. He's a big man, but he was pretty lean back then. He is Mm. now not lean, he is (laughs) substantially wider. And his son plays, I think, at 10 or 12 for wearing a third right. and fourth grade as well. Okay. So the two of them are running around together, and he's still That's calmed cool. up. Like... Yeah, no,
1: that, I've got to respect that. I've got to respect that, that oh, he's, he's so played good. for long enough, that he's playing with his son and clearly doing sister, well. sister also played for Australia in netball, similar yep. to what you we were saying about the Ghetto. It was like clearly a big sporting family. Yeah, fair play. Fair play. Credit where it's due. We'll wrap up these last two tries, I think. there's yep. Barrett Barnes makes that sec- scores that second try where Drew Mitchell makes it up with a break and just kind of links up with him. That's not much to really say about that, I don't think. Gitto's good in that he, he has the the last touch on the ball before giving it to Barnes. He could have picked his man to yeah. give that to, really.
3: Yeah.
1: Oh, there's the Latham one as well, where we've talked about oh, it already, yeah. but the notable thing oh, about yeah. Latham's first kick, which we forgot to mention, he chips a medic.
2: <laughs> oh,
1: I-, I missed that. <laughs>
2: That whole phase play is mental. The, the physio is hunched over the hooker for Japan, who is face down, and Japan play at the injured player for about two phases in a row. Why do and they the they avoid
3: goes,
2: Play through, like play on. It's all okay. Yeah. That's what and as you said, they put that little dumb grubber through. Latham oh. picks up and immediately runs straight at the same player before putting that chip over. It's just like. Why are you constantly targeting this poor boy on the guys? We all know that's where the gaps are. Yeah. Hey, well, and they were. So, yeah. <laughs> it's smart footy back in the day, right? <laughs> awesome.
1: Drew Mitchell scores another try. Th- where Matt Dunning? What a break! And what a oh. m- miss pass as well.
3: Oh you, yeah, He wanted to, to win in
1: England. Yeah.
2: It was a basketball. No, no, it, was exactly. a, it was a long ball to Berwick Barnes. It's beautiful.
1: Yeah, it's incredible. It's incredible. And then uh, Mitchell just finishes that off. Looks very easy for someone like Mitchell. Great step inside as well. And the final try is scored by Fryer, last play of the game, try from short range. I believe that's all the tries done. We've done the last Ooh. few in quick succession because we're approaching the two-hour mark. But there's one great set move that Japan run off a tap penalty where they set up their entire team and they take ages waiting for everyone to set up. And then we have Yamamoto passes to Ono, who just kicks it dead. Yes. <laughs>
2: <laughs> Wise move, brilliant. brilliant. And <laughs>
1: it's like Lottie Tinkuri sees that ball coming towards him and goes, "Go on then, oh, yeah. go on then. I know, I know <laughs> where this is going."
2: Oh, yeah, he just gave him some space behind it and just left him. But yeah, I mean, that's the safest place for the ball to be for Japan, isn't it? Out of field. Mm. Yeah, I think <laughs> yeah.
1: so. I think so. Very safe.
2: And then, I mean, they choose to do a scrum, don't they? And Anyone can win a scrum in this match. You know, anything can happen. So quite smart, really.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Very good thinking. Yeah. Yeah. Playing Allen rules. (laughs)
2: Yeah.
1: Okay. Should we do Man of the Match Dick of the Day? Is there anything else to add on the game before we get there?
3: That's
2: it, I think. I think we've covered it reasonably well in two hours. It went longer than the match itself.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. So should we start quickly, Man of the Match? Sure. Do you want to start? Yeah, go on then. So I've got a few names written down. Rocky Elsom, talented, clearly. Matt Gitto was kind of the link man a lot of the time, and I just love watching him play generally. Nathan Sharp, good round the park, and Drew Mitchell off the bench was just fantastic, I thought. I think he took every opportunity that came his way. But man of the match for me has to be George Gregan. He just, as I say, like, he controlled the game in the first half when he had to, and then he let rip in the second half. So, yeah, Gregan for me.
2: He, he's, he was absolutely brilliant, but I can't go past Rocky Elsom. The bloke mm. was just incredibly damaging every single time he touched the ball. This was like him in his absolute prime. Lightning quick, massively dominating contact, scored three tries, was, was actually named man of the match, which mm. I feel like has got to give me some credence mm. here as well. But, man, right. phenomenal. <laughs> Rocky Elson all the way.
1: Yeah, good call. Nelson?
2: Our rules are that we're going to say something different. Isn't thats is that our rules? No, uh,
1: you, can no you can say, say whatever. Say anything, yeah, go, go for the same person, whatever.
2: No, nah, it's it's got to be Rocky Nelson. He Fair. just, he how devastating he was, and seeing the man stride out and through the line that many times, score three tries as a back rower, he he was outstanding. The only disappointment was to hear that he played league. That's the only thing that he
3: did wrong. <laughs> I noticed
1: Nelson. We've both picked in our position.
3: <laughs> yeah.
0: Yeah. It's I probably can't. A friend.
1: I can't argue too much with Rocky Elson. Like, obviously, he plays incredibly well. Stephen Ockham plays really well. As you said, like, the Ashley Coopers, the Gittos, the Mitchells, and so on, Eric Barnes. I also want to mention Yanisorini Watanabe for Japan, the number six, who has the sort of game that if his team had been competent around him, you would go he's been a real thorn in the <laughs> Wallabies' side. You know, he's been such a menace for them, such a pest for them to get rid of, except everyone else was so incompetent. It became He'd compete at one breakdown, and the ball would be one second slower in allowing the Wallabies to beat the other defenders very <laughs> easily. Sadly, he's only one-fifteenth of the team. Yeah, so he was sort of all over, like, putting his body. On the line doing all of the hard work, but when the rest of your team is useless, you kind of can't <laughs> do anything. But right, I am gonna go. We're going like a straight split down rubber lines. I'm oh. going for George Gregan as well. Um nice. I, I thought yeah. George Gregan was just exceptional, wow. added so much, decision making excellent, assists about 18 tries.
3: Yeah. yeah,
1: just outstanding. Yeah. We've got joint players of the tournament here, just off the base of this yeah. podcast. These two yeah. joint with Gareth Edwards. Um, yes. So, dick of the day. Well, I've got two two guys written down, right? One of them is that medic who Chris Latham chips, right? So, for starters, it's not just that, right? At one point, when Japan are selectively attacking around him constantly, he accidentally trips up on Ozawa. On Ozawa's like backpedaling to get into position, and he trips over the medic. He's one name I've written down. But... My dig of the day has to be Sterling Mortlock because he celebrates winning the toss. before I love that.
2: And he I, like, I genuinely went, that's great. That is good. He flexes good his game.
1: arm in front of the Japanese <laughs> captain Sasaki and like celebrates it full on. And then he says to the okay. referee, like, oh, I want to yeah. go this way. And then Alan back. Lewis says back to him, like, no, no, no. You're thinking of the other way. So he not only celebrates the winning the toss, but he gets his directions wrong afterwards. So my dick of the day is Sterling Mortlock.
2: You've you've really split us because I'm I'm the medic on the field normally and I hated watching that guy almost get trampled so many times. And Nelson's absolutely the guy that celebrates in someone's face about winning a toss. Fuck yeah. I love that. I, I'm pretty sure I wrote down that I loved that moment. Like that was the first note I had. Sterling Mortlock, Captain, cheering winning. And look Imagine he, he how good just...
1: he would have been at karaoke if he's got oh, that I'll energy him... at coin toss.
2: If well if I see him now I can talk about him celebrating it. Yeah, that's right. You know? <laughs> yeah, true, it's true. But the okay. thing is like
1: he wins that coin toss, just wait till he sees the result of the game. <laughs> yeah.
2: You guys won pretty well too. <laughs> yeah. You ran through a lot of people. For for the dick of the day, I mentioned before I'm gonna I'm gonna I'm gonna put up Chris Latham. Because it's not often that a front rower, specifically one in the mould of Matt Dunning, calls for a chip and <laughs> chase down the blind side from the uh, halfback and then would have actually scored if it wasn't for Latham blowing past him and would have knocked <laughs> the ball on a meter out from the line. So it would have been some try for Matt Dunning and he was absolutely <laughs> robbed by Chris Latham.
1: Oh well Chris Latham does does justify it by scoring a drive over try himself. So Yeah,
2: that doesn't make Dunning feel any better. <laughs>
3: <laughs> <laughs>
2: Look, I'll I'll go my dick of the day. I think this is quite quite a tough one, but George Gregan definitely would agree that it's Alan Lewis, the the ref, getting in the way of a play, a set piece play.
3: Yes, he, yes. He, I true. mean, the
2: commentators talked about it. He's clearly going to get the George Gregan stare there. Lottie was was un, un, unhappy about it too. I mean, what sort of brilliance did we miss there? There Great wasn't job. many moments yeah. of brilliance in that match, or many chances for the Wallabies, and they he really screwed
1: that one up for them. Yeah, yeah, he he really really kept that scoreboard down
2: <laughs> Yeah, exactly.
1: Speaking of keeping the scoreboard down, I've kind of got three nominations. One is Japan in general um, <laughs> okay. One is John Cohen okay. for Japan in general, and the Very other fair. one is Tasuki Iwata for being injured um, <laughs> <laughs> so He could have turned the, the game, game. he could have changed the game Is Dasuki Iwata <laughs> Because who knows what uh, this game could have been very very different. They might if have won playing, you know. They might have won with him. Look, he could have clawed back single handedly what like fifty to sixty points. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So maybe they've only lost by forty. It's a great. We're one Wallabies game into here, and Sam Norton Knight has got out unscathed. <laughs> He's not got a nomination, <laughs> nor is Anthony Faienga. Huh. So there hey. it is. No. No, it's a branch of Barclays. So harry Nelson, thank you very much for joining us. Where can people find you? Where can people find Draft Rugby? Please tell us everything.
2: Uh, it's just at Draft Rugby on any of your socials. Definitely most active on Twitter. So that's where we'll be. We're off the we have just released the Royal Rumble with some of the other uh rugby podcasts. This yes, is always course. great yeah. fun. So that was our kind of year in review. So highly recommend that one, I guess, with yeah some of our good friends there and then we'll probably be most active again leading into super rugby early maybe early next year mid-jan something like that where we start all our previews things like that as well that's
3: pretty
1: could i also ask you both to plug your like personal accounts because they're both very much worth following for anyone any interest in australian rugby
2: Yes, I will double check what my account is. <laughs> I'm, I, I am at Harrison Dale eighty-eight. Look, I've got a couple. I'll, I'll, my main oh, one is on, we go. <laughs> Nelson H Dale. But if you want to get my one with the biggest following, it's at Adam Sir. So I have seventy-eight thousand followers. It's a David Adam Brutt parody account that I don't use. So, <laughs> if you were, feel free to like that because I feel like I can sell that one day for some money. So. Yeah.
1: <laughs> there we go it's gonna have a it's a bigger following and bigger influence on world rugby than squid rugby has one day but absolutely um, Undoubtedly. yeah thank you both for doing this again. when i it's get arrested always... for corruption in six months time yeah. <laughs> 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 next in air, air to the throne <laughs> <laughs> no thank boy, you for coming boy, on it. this is this is always like a real highlight of each series i think doing the wallabies game where we just talk about them running riot so yeah i've really enjoyed this as always so We'll see you on whatever our next World Cup is, no doubt.
2: Looking forward to it, fellas, and we'll see you next year in France. Yeah, we'll
1: see you yeah. in France. Yeah, we'll, we'll definitely have to keep in touch about that nearer the time. Get, That'd be great. Yes. Yeah. for your sevens. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> Thanks for doing it. No, that's that's been wonderful. That's been a very lovely time. Thank you. I'm off yeah. to go and just try and get the Sam Norton eye out of everything, because he is now every face <laughs> I see. <laughs> and we'll see you... Next week for Italy against New Zealand in the Rugby World Cup, which is another very tight encounter. In the same <laughs> spirit as this game, thank you, thank you once again, Harry. Thank you, Dale. No, thank you.
3: <laughs> thank, you. First names. <laughs> thank you, Will. Thank all you, good.
1: Owen. Uh, the other Harry. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> thank you all. Oh, uh, and yeah, good, good, goodbye. <laughs> Bye. <laughs>